This is the Criterion Creeps Podcast. I'm Jared Duncan. RJ Baylog. And we're just two guys who have no other choice now but to creep our way through the Criterion Collection one spine number at a time in order of release. This week, we're tracking down a movie about a child killer and bringing it to justice as we watch spine number 30 in the Criterion Collection, Fritz Long's M from 1931. But first, RJ, how are you? Eh, pretty fat and lazy. Yeah. To be honest, but I think that goes with the season, right? Mm-hmm. You know, all that all that eating and all that laying around and all that, all that. Just that general despondency and misery. Yeah, yeah that's, the th- that's the ticket. But, yeah. uh, so, you know. Yeah. How was Christmas for you, man? Uh, Christmas was fine. It was filled with food and, uh, I don't know. It's it's over with now. Moving on. Mm-hmm. Uh, didn't go anywhere on Boxing Day to go buy shit. Um, mm-hmm. That was good. And uh, yeah, it's over that holiday hump. Uh, New Year's means nothing to me. So <gasps> it's just uh, kind of I get a week off from work, which is great. Uh, mm-hmm. Hope to w- actually start watching some movies and enjoying it now that I don't have to travel around and eat at mm-hmm. other people's houses and watch stuff that's on in the background while talking with people right all that junk so yeah mm-hmm. I don't know. how come you don't uh, like new year's because you're not a uh you're not a, a lazy bum like or i don't know what i'm talking about because you don't get out and get drinking like me uh pretty much um mm-hmm. yeah it's just another just another day on the calendar um it's it, yeah it's, it hasn't really ever been a particularly special day mm-hmm. um in my youth uh, i guess we would go out often and drink our faces off and be really sick the next day but i've kind of grown past that period in my life um but yeah so i don't even know what the plan is on that day other than uh i don't like to go out because everyone seems to lose their senses go out of their minds and do stupid stuff mm. so I, they, I they can't hurt me if i'm in my own home <laughs> yeah well so you think yeah. But now I know your plan. Do you want to take a step back and get back into that phase? I'll take you out. I'll show I'll show you the seamy underbelly of the city. Yeah. No. I'm... Where bad decisions are made. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm yeah. good. <laughs> okay. Well, hey, you can't say I didn't offer it. Mm-hmm. So and if I don't come back next week, you know what happened. Yeah, you disappeared. Yeah. Probably in a sewer somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, were you able to watch much in the way of movies since we last spoke in our ah. uh, our uh, soon-to-be classic episode covering Citizen Kane? The classic, the the best episode yet, uh, apart from maybe Walkabout, I think, as people would uh, point out. Uh, no, not really. I watched one movie. I didn't do a whole lot of creeping for you because, you know, busy Yeah. with the school's. Uh, but I did watch one movie from this year, even, Jared. Ooh. This is a new movie for you, man. Ooh. Uh, it was a Netflix deal. Ooh. Andrea threw it on, and uh, I watched it in the background. Yeah. It was called Miss Stevens from 2016. Uh, it was okay. Mm-hmm. So uh, this movie, uh, first-time director, a lady named Julia Hart, who uh, also wrote the movie. Uh, it was about a kind of – it was about a high school teacher – who's not like all there, like she's having some personal problems. And then she takes three drama kids on a retreat to a drama weekend for drama kids. And it's a contest. And then it's got ups and downs and the kids have problems too. And maybe they'll teach each other something, Jared. Oh. Maybe. Yeah. 
Um, there's not much to say about it. It was okay. I think it would appeal more to a younger audience, maybe people, kids who are in that same state, or maybe a mid to early life adult who is in that same state. I will say though that uh, the first time director Julia Hart, she did a pretty good job for a first time. She, she knows what she's doing. Some very nice shots. Yeah. Things of that nature. Uh, it looked okay, but yeah, it's not very exciting or anything like that. But that's all I watched, man. So that's that's what you got. That's what I get. Um, well, I continued on from last episode, just keeping on watching those Christmas movies. Um, I didn't mm -hmm. get, I didn't get to trading places like I hoped maybe in the next Something couple of days I will. Um, but I did watch home alone, um, Ooh. for the first time in a long time. Um, it's, uh -huh. it's never been a movie that's really been near and dear to my heart in any way. Um, you animal. Yeah. Um, so watched it and I think my takeaway is that Daniel Stern has the best scream, uh, particularly when he winds up with a tarantula on his face. Oh, yeah. Um, that bit is just funny, but for the most part, I don't know. It's fine. It's a movie. <laughs> oh, my yeah. goodness. That movie is almost perfect, Jarrett. No. And you should treat it as such. Those scenes of like Kevin like wandering around in the house and he's just like expositing out loud to himself because <laughs> it's a movie and a kid has to talk to somebody. Yeah. I, Hello, is anybody here? They're gone. They left me behind. And, well, he's only nine. Yeah, but nine a nine-year-old nine might say that out loud. Maybe I, I think I, I think a nine-year-old would also just go to his neighbor and say, "My parents are gone." Instead of neighbors uh, were all out of town. All of them. I thought those phones. Yeah. Were, I thought the phones were down, and it's, and he was he was concealing himself. It was both things. It was Aww. both things. The neighbors were all out of town. That's why they robbed the other houses in the block. Mm. See, they they planned it all out, yeah. buddy. Well, they I'm planned sure, it all out. But I'm pretty sure that we went, we went to the store. <laughs> And he didn't pay for that toothbrush. Uh, yeah, but he had to make a fast getaway. That's why they didn't catch him. Uh, because he had to, He got scared by the creepy old man and ran away. So he was shoplifting and he had to take off. Yeah. <laughs> you see? Yeah. It's, it's all there, Jared. It's full it's all proof. There. Yeah, it's foolproof. It, does, it, mm -hmm. it does not make sense at all. Not at yeah. all. What, um, about, that, what was, about that little jerk part, though? Uh, that's just, yep, that's a scene. <laughs> you little jerk. Uh, yeah, Kevin, Kevin really likes his cheese pizza. Mm -hmm. um, little kids do yeah I don't get that I never liked cheese pizza I liked everything but the cheese when I was a kid I've obviously uh, grown and matured out of that so yeah, I'm all about pizza when I do eat them uh, the I was thinking about though it's like John Hughes has like some weird like hang up on like people just being abandoned in their house with no one noticing because he does the yeah. exact same thing in National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation um, oh, yeah. where it's oh, yeah. like, yeah, Chevy Chase, he, he's up in the attic and then he gets left behind and no one's like, Hey, where's dad? No, no. Everyone's just like, Oh, there they go. And they leave him, uh, to die. Uh -huh. Um, and it's like, uh, that's like, I guess like a weird common thing of just, I don't know, abandonment complex. Sure. Time and time so again have, in Chicago. You, have you never been left home alone? Like that? Have I ever been like left behind? Because it's not yeah. even being left. It's not even being left home alone. It's like yeah, just left behind. They just left. They forgot about you existing. No, that's never happened to me. Mm. Well, you must have parents who really care. I guess so. Yeah. Uh. Well. Okay. Have another so you drink, watched, RJ. Yeah, you watched National Lampoons as well, then. Yep. Uh, we watched that on Boxing Day after dinner. Uh, that's, yeah. the, that's the one that my parents like to watch. That's their fave. Um. Mm -hmm. It's again, it's okay. Like I, I used to like it a lot more than I do now. But I mean, yep. every time Cousin Eddie's around, I can't help but laugh. Um, 
uh, Randy mm-hmm. Randy Quaid's finest work. <laughs> oh yeah, you love Randy Quaid in those movies. Do you know how those movies are connected? Like the vacation movies? See, I was no uh, vacation, the Home Alone. Sorry, the two movies you watched off of the top. Other than they're both set in Chicago. No, Chris Columbus was supposed to direct National Lampoons, and apparently uh, he met Chevy Chase, and Chevy Chase was kind of a dink to him so he left and he he did home alone and then home alone made all the money in the world oh i'm sure that both do fairly well i'm sure that yeah it didn't make it didn't make all that upfront cash that home alone did Mm -hmm. being like the freak like super hit that it was but yeah i'm sure it's it it makes a couple bucks here or there um so yeah christmas vacation uh I've, i've never actually seen like national lampoon's vacation or national lampoon's european vacation um so i feel like i should vegas though um i don't think so there's like some weird Mm -hmm. event like in junior high where like all the kids who did well in school got to go to the movie mill and watch Mm -hmm. like uh like whatever movie they wanted to go see and i think like Mm -hmm. i can't remember like i might be confusing the two years but i think that the option was like uh vegas vacation or watching like two hours of Looney Tunes cartoons and I opted right. I was the only one who opted for the Looney Tunes mm-hmm. um, and that was awesome like that was like that's like one of those like really great memories from my childhood just like watching Looney Tunes by myself in a theater for like two hours mm-hmm. um, and everyone else went to Vegas vacation and the response would be like oh yeah there's some tits in it <laughs> like, there certainly is yeah because that's what junior high kids pick up on real quick tits mm-hmm. <laughs> well uh, I was I just brought it up because I was gonna say I think that's the best one. That's got some good Randy Quaid action in it. Oh so yeah, because I'd, I'd skip your, Europe and I'd skip Vacation. I would just ro- watch Vegas and then you'll be fine. Well, see, I think Vacation introduces Cousin Eddie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it does, but I, I don't know. I wouldn't rank it up there. Anyways, it doesn't yeah, matter. Yeah, I don't know. I'm always like, uh, comedy is a weird thing where like you have to be really at the right place, right time, like when those movies come out for them to like click. Because my experience so far with like, going back and watching 80s comedies is most more often than not they're not good. They don't hold yeah. up. But like the people who like watch them when they came out, they like love them unabashedly. I kind of feel like if uh, if I try to introduce somebody now to say Dumb and Dumber. Uh, they'd right. probably be like, what the hell are you talking about? This is, so- mm-hmm. this is terrible. But to me, it's just like unimpeachable classic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I agree with you. Yeah. I don't know. Kids these days, right? Kids these days. And yeah, comedy. It's one of those weird mm-hmm. things. Eighties comedies in particular. There's like just some sheen to them that I just can't get through. There's some production right. stuff that they were doing at the time that I don't know. It doesn't hold up, but uh, I also, uh, when we were talking about um, Mickey Mouse's Christmas Carol, uh-huh. uh, I, I, I was like, suddenly of the mindset, like, hey, you know what? We were talking about these Christmas Carol movies. Maybe I should just keep watching these Christmas Carol movies and just um, map them all out for myself to see mm-hmm. what's what's the best. Uh, so after that, we watched uh, the A Muppet Christmas Carol, which mm. uh, with with Mr. Michael Caine. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, he's definitely the worst Scrooge that I've seen of the Aww. of the of the five. That includes Scrooge McDuck. Uh, he just I don't know. Mm. He he just seems really not into the material at all. Um, <laughs> and like I I don't, I don't blame him because he's also working off of Muppets. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so yeah, it's it's like a really interestingly shot movie. Like the cinematography mm-hmm. is like actually really interesting um there's like even like weird orson wells like uh compositions yeah (laughs) which i don't know i guess Mm -hmm. uh when you're shooting 
puppet movies. You just kind of do something to like entertain yourself and like figure right. out how do we frame these things so they they're obviously just guys like hands up their asses and moving right. around. Um, but yeah, it was fine. Um, mm-hmm. But like, definitely I, like the weakest I think of the Christmas oh, carols that I've that's seen. Too bad. Yeah, I'm really... I I like that movie, but I haven't watched it in many many years. Yeah. I mean, Do you think Michael Caine is like that because he's trying to be Scrooge, so he's just like really like Bleh. no, or is it is it just melees? He looks bored. Okay. <laughs> There's just shots of him just like res- like they they would just they'll just cut to like inset shots of him just res- looking at things and responding with his face, but he's like not particularly mm-hmm. into what he's supposed to be reacting. Okay. It, I don't know <laughs> if it's like he's going for subtle or not, but it's like he's in a Muppets movie. You don't do subtle. Sure. Uh, Can I ask you one more question and then I'll let you finish? Okay. If you if you could cast any actor to be in a Muppets Christmas Carol, acting off of those Muppets, who would it be? No idea. I, oh man, I, I, I couldn't come up with an answer off the top of my head. It's, it's too on the spot. Edit it in later. Wer- okay. Werner Herzog. <laughs> Great, outstanding. Okay. Uh, so then I followed that up with uh, Scrooge, starring Alistair mm-hmm. Sim from 1951. Uh, I'm pretty sure I, I, I think that's my mom's favorite Christmas movie that doesn't really get popped in a lot because it is like a 1950s British production. So it is old and kind of stodgy, uh, which has always right. been my memory of it. Other than like the Alistair Sim performance, I remember being like really good. Like he's just like, that is his character and mm-hmm. watching it like he's awesome. He's so great. Um, and then, like, I start picking up on, like, weird details uh, that, like, differ between all these movies. Like, just, like, the, like, scenes and dialogue that just, like, are dropped, you know, from, like, the Disney version of this, like, does not have a lot of nuance to it. Uh, it gets by for me on just, like, beautiful colors and beautiful animation. Uh, mm-hmm. But it definitely is, like, the most simplified version of the story. And also, at the end of the day, it's also trying to be a comedy because it's a cartoon. Uh, and that's sort of yeah. like Muppet Christmas Carol as well. Like, it's so busy trying to be meta and also be a comedy is that some of, like, the weird song and dance numbers kind of just don't work. Mm-hmm. Um, or, like, it's, like, at odds with, like, this story that, I mean, I feel kind of personal about. Like, I don't know. It's this idea of, like, <laughs> changing a miserable rich person's mind like through supernatural means it's kind of a weird story and so simplistic that one wishes that life were that easy mm-hmm. um but it's not <laughs> like isn't that what inception's about uh is it <laughs> isn't that just a remake of a christmas carol but with science yeah just not at christmas yeah. that's and, all and leonardo dicaprio is all the ghosts all the ghosts all the ghosts yeah yeah so yes uh so scrooge is like quite nice but like it's too bad mm-hmm. like the movie has um like it's never really been given a lot of love in the restoration department like the only way to really watch mm-hmm. it still are like kind of like top grade vhs quality which isn't that amazing um like all the dvds that exist for it, blu-rays they just reproduce old bad reproductions so sure that's a movie that needs some restoration and maybe it'll like pop a lot more because it's, it's like really it looks it seems like it would have really nice black and white cinematography mm-hmm. but so it's tough to so, uh, but it's like it's good. Like I mean, it's definitely there's a reason yeah. why it's held in such high regard. But um, we'll get to the best one after this. <clears throat> after that, uh, the next morning, I was like, at this point, now I was like, okay, now I got to just keep watching Christmas Carol films. I came across mm-hmm. this animated one from like 1971 that actually I think won best short film that, or best short animated mm-hmm. film, and it's just a Christmas Carol. Uh, the voice they got for Scrooge was Alistair Sim as well, but he's oh, now twenty nice. years. But he's now twenty years older, and he's like really old and tired, and doesn't seem super invested like he did in oh. 1951. So he's definitely a, de- 
I don't know, he detracts from it for me, but it's got some really genuinely haunting imagery. Um, cause there's always this thing with Jacob Marley when he shows up and he's got like the weird kind of, um, uh, bandage around his head that's tied up at the top. And so he's like, I don't understand what that was about. Um, and so here it shows up again, but this time, uh, Jacob Marley undoes the knot and then his jaw just drops down and his mouth just stuck open permanently as he's talking. It's like, whoa. <laughs> it's like, why? Whoa. That's so gross. Which is like, I guess it's like this exaggerated, dislocated jaw. And like mm-hmm. that, it's like one of the uh, things from being in the the realm of like purgatory is like you're now just, corp- it's like, I guess it's added. I don't know, jolt of like disfigurement and gothic horror. I think that I totally like, I really liked a lot. Um, It's kind of, um, uh, it's like kind of a typical animation that sort of wins these Oscars, like realistically drawn animation and figures. And like, it's tough to like animate human beings in a realistic style because it always kind of starts getting a little off in like the models because people start moving and has sort of like a more of a fluid look than a real solid look. Uh, I've I've never been a super fan of that animation style, but uh, this definitely made up for the fact that it has some really nice uh, like visuals that it comes up with. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I watched the, uh, film that I shit on cause I didn't know anything about it. The George C. Scott version of a Christmas Carol oh, mm-hmm. where I just went, oh, it's a piece of crap. And you're like, really? And I'm like, no, I have no idea. I've never seen it. So I made it up to old, old George C. Scott this time. And it's actually one of the better Christmas Carol uh, adaptations oh, yeah. that I've seen. Uh, George C. Scott, go. he just shows up and, uh, he's excellent. Uh, he, hmm. um, it's, it's kind of weird because he's this American actor playing Scrooge in like a period piece in Victorian England, but everyone else is English except for him. And no, it doesn't matter. It's it's just it's just George C. Scott doing himself, and it's like that's fine. Mm-hmm. It, it I I accept it. Uh, maybe some purists might roll their eyes, but uh, purists would also probably appreciate that. The, I think this is actually more like the most accurate uh, adaptation of uh, the original story. Like it's got. Pretty well, like, I don't know, it's about a half hour longer than every other version. Because most are usually about like anywhere from 25 minutes to an hour and a half. And this is like yeah. almost two hours. So it has every like beat, I think. And it actually does the best job of like creating um, a convinced Scrooge that I've, I've mm-hmm. seen in other movies. Because usually it seems like out of nowhere, he's like, he wants to be a good person. Um, that would be something I'd hold against like the Alistair Sim one. It seems like he just suddenly is like, oh no, I want to be, I want to be a good guy now. I want to make up for all the bad I've done. And in this, like, like George C. Scott, he fights them all along the way. Every time, like there's a good point made, he comes up with something else. And he's like calling them out on the fact that like when the ghost of uh, Christmas present, uh, starts throwing his words back at him. Um, mm-hmm. he's like, oh, yeah. he actually says that. Oh, you're going to throw my words back at me, huh? Well, that's, that's real clever. And like, he actually is resisting them. Um, and so when he actually is finally won over, it's like a well-earned victory by the ghosts. Right. It's not just like, well, that's cause it has to happen. Cause that's what the story says. Mm-hmm. So that was nice. Um, and then, so that was the end of my Christmas caroling for, I guess, maybe mm-hmm. this year. I guess I've got the Jim Carrey starring Ma movie to go. I don't know right. really if I'm going to like that because that Robert Zemeckis uh, Uncanny Valley stuff really doesn't appeal to me. But mm-hmm. I guess I'll watch it, and I should probably watch that Patrick Stewart one. Um, get the big yep. boys out. And I think there's even like a Vincent Price one too. Uh, there is, yeah, yeah, there is. So, uh, maybe next Christmas, 
and uh, mm-hmm. I'll, and we'll continue this voyage. But uh, yeah, the last thing I'll mention that I watched uh, is I rewatched It's a Wonderful Life, um, right. which just <laughs> continues to remain like one of the best movies ever made. Um, <gasps> and I think it's incredible every time I watch it. It's a movie that I'm always intimidated rewatching because I'm always mm-hmm. afraid that it's not going to hold up to what I remember it being. And usually it works out that, no, it really is that great. Um, I don't know. It's, mm. it's Frank Capra firing on all cylinders, Jimmy Stewart at his most charming. Um, and like, yeah, I mean, it has like the best, like sort of a uh, humanist message about treating people right and things and like the goodness of humanity. Uh, it makes me cry. And uh oh, nerd <laughs> and no it's uh amazing movie it's wonderful rj uh um, so they say so they say so uh, uh, so they I'll claim <laughs> uh, yeah we'll we'll see about that I'll, I'll rewatch that bad boy maybe next year and i'll i'll see if it holds up to your standards yeah you'll challenge me on that <laughs> yeah that'll be you you challenge me with movies like salo and stuff like that i'll i'll, I'll go after <laughs> it's a wonderful life because yeah. that's what people really are interested in that's right Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, that's it for my creeping. Uh, RJ, have you any news to bring? Um, do I? I don't know. Uh, I heard something that I guess is somewhat fitting, uh, just as a throwaway connected sure. to Fritz Lang of mm-hmm. the movie we watched tonight. Um, I heard that one of his other movies, the one he is maybe most popular for, maybe, uh, Metropolis, yep. is going to be made into a television series. Uh, by the people, yeah, uh, but uh, by the people who made Mr. Robot, uh, which I actually haven't watched, but gets all the buzz. Yes, it so, does. Um, I mean, I guess that's good. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I've actually never seen Metropolis, so is this Ooh. something that uh, you think will be good to be serialized or just <sighs> Man. let old dogs lay? It's hard to say. Um, I mean, why not? Uh, uh-huh. honestly, uh, most people probably have not seen Metropolis outside of like film geeks. People mm-hmm. are really into German expressionism, uh, in Fritz Lang. Uh, so yeah, whatever. They're just going to remake, whatever. they're just going to remake shit. So, I mean, it's probably public domain, so they can just do whatever they mm-hmm. want anyway. Um, it sounds like Westworld worked out okay. I still haven't watched it. Um, but so yeah, I don't know. It's just amazing. Just like how much remade stuff gets made every week it seems there's a new announcement um and we're yes. here to keep you on track folks so you're in the yep. know of when the next remade product is coming your way exactly i just thought it was fitting i was like huh yeah, well we're talking about fritz lang anyways exactly. we might as well mm-hmm. no it's yeah it's good timing good so i don't know we'll see i guess right yeah well hey you know what uh, we've been talking about this, and maybe we should just do it. Uh, we, folks, are going to talk about our top films that we've watched for the first time in 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, it's that year-end tradition amongst podcasters and film websites, and every asshole comes out of the woodwork to blow, uh, you know, fart out their own opinion about what the best film they saw of 2016 is. Um, I we, yep. we could go down the route of like what actual films came out in 2016, and we'll just tell you, hey, you know, The Witch is really good, but you probably mm-hmm. already knew that, and it's just like a pissing contest about what movies really were the best and I don't, I don't care about that. Um, I don't, I don't know. No one's going to ever convince me that 10 Cloverfield Lane's like a best film of the year candidate. It's like, it was an entertaining movie, 
But yeah. I mean, the, the idea that it's like we have to make a list of that. So I think it would be far more, I don't know, uh, insightful to just talk about the movies that we saw this happened to see this year that people should probably watch. Absolutely. I think um, that makes more sense to me, too. Yeah. So it's like any movie from any year that we just happen to watch for the very first time are mm-hmm. what we're going to be discussing. So I don't know. Uh, do you have a particular order, RJ, to your list? Or is it just kind of like uh, like a five, four, three, two, one? Uh, well, there's definitely a number one. Okay. Uh, and then there's definitely two tied for number two. And then there's definitely some other ones. Okay. So well, I'll just I'll name the lower ones first, okay. and then I'll, I'll I'll get up to the best. Yeah, we'll we'll rotate. So we'll just say a number five. What will be your number five? Uh, so this goes way way back, Jer. Yep. This is almost 365 days back. I watched this bad boy. Whoa. Uh, so I'm I'm I I reached real far back for this one. Uh, and so I I should mention also, the movies I picked for these aren't necessarily like. I didn't rate them five stars, but mm. they were the ones I liked the most. Th- because re- I can, I can uh, rate movies objectively without giving my own input in them. So I can like a movie and still admit that, hey, yeah, maybe it's only like a four or a four and a half. Okay. All right? Okay. So uh, this goes way back, Jer, to the year of 1987. Uh, and I believe this is one of your also favorite movies. And it stars our main man, Mickey Rourke. And he is playing a young Charles Bukowski oh, in Barfly. Yes. Did I uh, surprise you with you, that bad boy? You, you did. Yeah. I, uh, I wa- so I watched this uh, close to my birthday last year, which is early in January. And uh, so it's way, way back. But as I was scrolling this morning, because you told me about this earlier, because yeah. we have a little bit of prep. People don't know that. A touch. So, uh, yeah, I don't want to give away how the sausage is made, but uh, so I was scrolling back and uh, I went way all the way down to the timeline in January and I was like, oh, barfly. I was like, I identify with that so much. Just <laughs> sitting at a bar being miserable and drinking and fighting with uh, Sylvester Stallone's brother. It's, it's the greatest time you <laughs> uh, can ever have. That is always the first thing that comes to my mind. I'm like, yeah, fist, having a, a fist fight in the alley with Frank Stallone. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so um, that's. That's pretty much all the movie. It's just Mickey Rourke hanging out drinking and it was a, a script written by Bukowski. So yep. uh, this is a, a favorite movie of uh, roommate Scott's. Mm-hmm. And uh, he had pushed it on me for a long time because he is a big Bukowski fan. And uh, he was like, you would really like this. And I was like, all right. And uh, you also pushed it on me yeah. because uh, you were like, I heard you like man movies. And I was like, yeah, I do <laughs> like man movies. So uh, it fit. It served bur- both purposes. And I watched it. And it was great. Yeah, no, so, I, I I love Barfly. Um, my friend Amanda introduced me to that movie years ago, and there was like the one night I think me and a couple of buddies came over to her place, and we were watching it, and we just like loved it. It's it's pretty, it's like it's hilarious in like it's kind of a dark scumball movie, but you can't oh, yeah. like help but laugh. It's just like I don't know how scummy it is, and like how everyone's just like such a, like a depressing waste of life, but it, in the best way mm-hmm. possible. Um, yeah, no, I, I think about that movie a lot. Um, yeah, yeah. Barfly. Awesome. I, 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 I co-sign on that brother. Right on. Nice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's um, my number five. Okay. Well, the way I did my list was I just kind of looked back at the movies I gave five stars to on my letterbox. The movies oh. that like, I like, like the most this year. Lame. Um, and then there's like I, I rewatched a whole bunch of stuff, which gave me a bunch of five star stuff. But these mm-hmm. are the only the movies that I only seen for the very first time. 
Uh, All right. So my number five, I actually, and actually there's three criterions on this. So one day down the road, we will talk about them once more. Uh, So number five for me is Umberto D. Um, uh, I don't know a lot about this movie. Actually, yeah, so, so it's the uh, Italian realist film um, directed by uh, what's his name, uh, Vittorio De Sica, uh, who mm-hmm. who showed up in uh, your fave Blood for Dracula. Um, oh, nice. So, but it's like it's a movie about an old pensioner um, <laughs> and his dog, and it's just like him in like that post-war Italy uh, in the re- kind of reconstruction that's happening and just like uh, old men and old people in general, veterans, they're just, they've been left behind in a society that's pretty well in shambles and mm-hmm. uh, it's just a story about survival and an old man trying to make the best that he can for him and his dog and uh, yeah, I'm no, seeing it's... a trend here for you <laughs> yeah so this movie mm-hmm. is just uh yeah, it's just like amazing movie. It's like it's one of those like always shows up in like best of lists, um, best films of mm. all time lists. And mm-hmm. I was always like, I I watched this and Bicycle Thieves uh, around the same time. Um, and Bicycle Thieves I thought was okay. It's good, but Umberto right. D like I was just like really floored by. I like hey Ar- I like emotional movies. I like to be moved. Um, but, oh but, no way! But, but I like to be I like I like it to be a genuine. I like it to be real. Mm. And uh, Umberto D definitely uh, brought that. Um, yeah, it's like it's got an amazing ending. It's so mm-hmm. it's so sad. It's, it's about him and the dog. I have one question for you. Yep. Is this an RJ movie? Oh, uh yes. Yeah, I think you'll, mm. you, you, you you can do it. You can do it. You you, you can do this okay. one. Um, okay. yeah. There's there's some definite like oh man that's this oh god oh but it, I think it works out okay in the end. Uh, but it's a it's a genuinely great great film. It lives up to the hype, uh, as people like to say, hype. The hype <laughs> uh, machine. This this movie is sweet. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so this would be my number five. People should check it out. Race out, pick up that Blu-ray. Um, it looks really good, um, and yeah, it's a, a nice piece of uh, Italian neorealism. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I'm interested to see it. I guess, and I think it's what is it first like 100 or 200 of. Oh, it's late. Years? It's later. It's uh, oh, okay. Yeah. Well, never mind. But it'll be a while uh, till we get to it. But yeah, yeah. We'll see if I'm not replaced as a a host at that point. That's right. Number four. <gasps> For me. Yeah. The soon to be cult classic, but in my opinion, the modern classic. Mm-hmm. Batman v Superman: Dawn of Justice oh. by everybody's favorite director <laughs> Zack Snyder. Oh. And I know what you're saying. That's bold, I, my friend. <laughs> that is bold. And uh, people are going to probably not like that because it's like, hey, didn't that get 20% on Rotten Tomatoes? Uh Hey, isn't that a horrible fucking movie that nobody liked? Wrong. Wrong. One person liked it. And he's sitting right here, pal. He's on that Criterion Creeps podcast. (laughs) He's on that Criterion Creeps podcast. And I've talked about it a little bit, so I won't go too in-depth about it. But uh, as as I just mentioned with Barfly, I like those man movies. And uh, you don't get a bigger dick measuring contest than uh, you do in Batman v Superman. You got muscles. You got buff dudes. You got Ben Affleck pulling fucking tractor tires. It's got everything you need. That uh, 
the Rage edition, the uncut <laughs> version with 40 extra minutes is actually very nice. I think it uh, fills in a lot of the holes people were uh, complaining about. So, you know what? I said, fuck it. Nobody's no. This isn't going to be on a single person's list. So whatever. And that's that is from this year even. So mm-hmm. how do you like how do you like them apples? Uh, it's okay. Hey folks, Barflight really is a good movie. Um, yep. <laughs> Batman versus Superman is okay. I don't get the hate. Um, yeah. I I think it's like it's exact. I think it's actually I would watch it again before I'd watch like Captain America: Civil War. That's Absolutely. Just, which actually, I think it's starting to get a that movie's starting to get a backlash to it too. It's starting to turn. Yeah, it's yeah. Starting, the tide is turning. I think people are like starting to go. Well, at least internet people, uh, yeah. they're 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 starting to go. I don't know about this, and uh, which is good. It's inevitable. Um, yeah. Life will continue on. They'll continue making those movies, and I'm sure they'll mm-hmm. still make hundreds of millions of dollars, regardless of what I think. But Batman vs Superman, uh, I don't know. Zack Snyder is an interesting director. I don't hate him the way people want to just hate him. Uh, mm-hmm. I, don't, he, I, I think there's more to him than people want to admit. Yes. They, they just see what's on the surface. I actually do think he, he does put a little bit into his movies that are, you, you gotta, you gotta look for it, man. You gotta dig mm-hmm. through there, but he's doing stuff. I think he's really trying. So yeah, I'll give him a little bit of credit and I agree. I, it doesn't deserve the hate. It does. No, but. not at all. So, so so there it is. Cool. Uh so my number 4 um is uh I don't know where this is going to place on yours cuz I'm sure it's it will probably place, but I have here Green Room from 2016. Ah, yeah. Very nice. Very yeah, nice. Very nice. That's the new word, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I don't well, know. I'm uh, I'm stuck on that today. I, I guess so. Um so yeah, Green Room. Um yeah. I don't I don't know if we talked about that already on the show early on precast okay precast so yeah uh green room 2016 uh old brian salzner whatever his last name is uh he made this movie he made that blue ruin which that was the movie that like everyone talked so much about i watched it i thought it was good solid movie but nothing i'd ever really go to my way to see again um but green room I don't know. I'm going off of like, I've only seen it once. Um, and I'm going off of my theatrical experience of seeing it. And I thought it was just amazing. Um, it's been a really long time mm-hmm. since I went to a theater and had that like, like sweaty armpits, like really involved. Forget that I'm watching a movie experience, uh, yep. where I'm just like caught up in the action and really like pumped up and like ready for the next scene to happen. Um, that yep. never happens. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it's weird. Cause like, I feel like green room has like this weird thing where it's like, I think it's, it's like gets overhyped for people and people go in and they go, Oh, that's it. And then they're kind of like, they shrug their shoulders, but like, yeah. I don't know. I like everything in there is for me, I guess at the same time. Um, I've always like drawn to these movies about like neo-Nazis and like, I don't know. I find it's like a really weird subculture. Sur- and so when survival. it gets, when it, yeah. And it's like, when that stuff shows up in movies, I'm always like, well, usually it's done badly. Um, mm-hmm. but it's like, I think it's like, oh, they're, they're weird. Like, kind of like real villains <laughs> like like yeah, and absolutely. And so like it's like really like oh when they actually can pull it off and they're like really scary and like like totally cold rational like there's like really great stuff in that movie where um i think yeah like where uh they're they're talking really quietly to the kids the punk kids and they're trying to like mm-hmm. diffuse situations but it's all because they don't want them to get ramped up and like rage out and get like physical mm-hmm. they want them to be like in a weird like kind of uh 
low point and then they can take care of them like by killing them because they don't see it coming but they're not yelling at them they're not trying to be angry they're they're being they're going about it really smartly i guess um mm-hmm. and yeah it's just like the movie looks great um yeah i don't know mm-hmm. uh green i just i love this movie um i i want to watch I, I have it on blu-ray i just it's just a matter of like going back and watching it again and hopefully it doesn't yep. disappoint and i don't regret having this in my list <laughs> correct well uh you were right it is on my list it was number two Ooh, okay. it was number two and uh yeah i'm the same boat as you i only watched it the one time we were actually in theaters although we didn't sit together because uh, you don't like sitting next to me in movies because I do things that are deemed inappropriate, whatever that means. Uh-huh. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, this was number two for me. And uh, I'm not going to say much. You you touched on all of it. It was wicked. Get- it was intense, man. White knuckled it. White knuckled. Yeah, that box cutter, baby. Oh, yeah. So, very nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, number three. Number three for me? Yeah. This is a very recent one, but I feel like it's it's worthy to be up there. Uh, Master and Commander, Far Side of the World. Mm-hmm. Is that the title? I can't. I, yep. I forget after Matt. Sounds right. Uh, yeah, so people can go back uh, two episodes to listen in our Peter Weir episode where I covered a little Peter Weir. Uh, I go into de- We both go into detail about old Master and Commander, but uh, uh, there is a theme in my movies as well. Uh, old paunchy old men like Russell Crowe and their sweltering biceps. So uh, yeah, that movie rules. And uh, as as we've mentioned, you were so upset that I had never seen it before, and I guess mm-hmm. rightfully so because it was the number three movie I watched this year. I think. Yeah, damn right. So, all right. So what's what about you? Oh well, my number three uh, is a documentary from the eighties, Koyanis Quatsi. Nice. Uh, this is another one of those films that I'd seen at like Blockbuster in the documentary mm-hmm. section for years, and I was always like, "Oh, that's a weird title. What's that about?" Oh, it's like I, I kind of had an idea. It's like, "Oh, it's just a bunch of like mm-hmm. stock footage and film, like film footage around the world, and it's got some music to it." Oh, it's Philip right. Glass. I like Philip Glass actually a lot, but I was always like, "Nah, I don't know. This isn't going to do anything for me." And then like I think like and I watched this actually right at the beginning of the year too. Um, and I think I saw someone put out their like best documentary list and I saw this movie like on the top and I, I loved everything else that was on their list. And I'm like, well, I guess I should go get around to watching it. I have this like old DVD of it and I watched it and it just, it's like one of the best things I've ever seen. Uh, like like hands down in any year. Um, yeah, it's just like incredible. Um, mm-hmm. for, I guess like the laid out for people. I mean, what it is, is, uh, is that not a future creep? It is because it's it's in the uh, the Quatsi trilogy, up. yes. Yeah. So we'll be mm-hmm. st- doing it one day down the road, but um, mm-hmm. years yeah, the, from the, now. Uh, Godfrey Reggio, Reggio. Um, so yeah. he's like this, like just a weird guy who kind mm-hmm. of was part of a this like I don't know what you call it, sort of like a new agey sort of group cult, and he was like kind of like the not a cult, but some sort of group, uh, kind of a spiritual environmentalist group. Uh, mm-hmm. And like he basically started making documentaries for them, and then he it went further and further till he made this like massive undertaking, like shot on like whatever it was like sixty five millimeter film, traveling around the mm-hmm. world, just depicting the world as it is. Um, and there's no narrative, there's no people in it, it's just footage. But there's like a real thesis to everything that's being shot, uh, and it's all brought along through the Philip Glass score. Uh, I was totally wowed by it. Um, mm-hmm. I can't believe like it's just one of those things that. Uh, it's just 
such a powerful movie um, that I, I more people I, I think more people did watch this at one point. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, we we live now in an age where there's so much stuff to see that it's really easy to skip over stuff. But kind of like Umberto D, uh, it really does live up to my the expectations, I guess, that uh, had been laid down to me, which is kind of the common theme you'll start picking up on here in my top list here. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I don't know. All you can do is watch this and experience it for yourself. Um, it really tapped into like kind of like my own kind of worldview, I guess, too. So it's a it's a probably also right. a personal thing, which I mean, that's all top films can ever be for anybody, I think. Um, yeah. But yeah, rush out there and watch it, folks. Uh, well, that that sounds awesome. I've actually wanted that movie for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have been holding out because I wanted to get that sweet Criterion box set yes. for a while. Yeah, uh, uh, which I actually now so, have, and I now have to watch the next two. But uh, I, again, I've been intimidated because I don't want to be super disappointed or something. But uh, I think I think the second one is just as good, and then I think the third one is maybe the uh, the weakest of the three. The, we- the weakest yeah. of the three, but still pretty good. Uh, no, that's that's wicked because uh, I've wanted to see that for a long time actually mm-hmm. yeah, so no, good it, to know that it actually holds up it rocks rocks and rolls and number two was green, green room. room yeah yeah so well well i guess that's that that's that that's what that. about you green room terrific uh my number two was actually mm-hmm. i think the first film i watched of 2016 pretty much Ooh, and, and another nice. and another documentary uh mm. and that is the look of silence i am completely unfamiliar with this okay so um uh, now i'm blanking out so it's like a sequel film uh but it's okay. actually what the, the guys so joshua oppenheimer um uh, mm-hmm. he's been spending the last several years of his life uh documenting the indonesian genocide that happened in the 60s where um the government was just uh liquidating communists and oh, so, so yeah, so there's the first film he made was actually kind of a side thing that grew out of the process of making The Look of Silence. And that was a film mm-hmm. called The Act of Killing. And so The Act of Killing uh, got brought to my radar a few years ago because I think Werner Herzog was like really going uh, mm-hmm. out there and promoting this thing. It's like the greatest thing, the like best thing he's seen in ages. Um, yep. What it does is, uh, so he basically, uh, Joshua Oppenheimer, he was going to war criminals, essentially. People who have not been prosecuted as war criminals, but people mm-hmm. who like openly admit to the fact that they committed atrocities. Um, uh, right. And then he's yeah. just interviewing them and they're just talking about it like without any like fear of reprisal or like being prosecuted uh, yeah. um, and then he also then he winds up having them st- like reenact their mm-hmm. like atrocities in the style of like Hollywood films right so and it's like I don't know that 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 was like probably my best film of the year it came out which I think was like 2012 um, yeah. and so the look of silence which was actually the documentary he was making while mm-hmm. he made active killing uh, the look of silence follows up on all of that because he's following a uh, uh, optician and optometrist who's going around and like looking at giving eye exams to these war criminals when talking to them about what they've done and then he kind of springs on them well you know my father was killed like my family was killed in this Mm -hmm. and it's just like terrifying because like there's this whole idea though it's like these guys are still in power like nothing's changed in Indonesia. Um, mm-hmm. Like these, like these, these things still happen, and they're still like openly talked about, even though it's like, well, no, these were monstrous acts. Right. And I look at silence. So this guy, he's just like flat out talking to these people, and yeah, it's like you start realizing how 
dangerous the situation is, uh, how uncomfortable it is. And you're just like this, this confrontation with these people about the horrible things they've done and the fact that they don't really acknowledge it, but they know they've done horrible things, but they live in a <laughs> system where, uh, you know, so what else part of a kill squad? What's the, <laughs> we don't talk about that anymore. What is this? Yeah. A hit, a hit no piece? Baby. It's like, well, yeah, it is a hit piece. You're murderers. Yeah. It, yeah, it's incredible. Um, and it's like, it's great. It's like kind of bums me out that you'd never heard of this. Cause I mean, that means a lot of people have never heard of this. Um, yep. and people do need to see this, uh, at least I guess for it to be successful, but I mean, right. so I mean, yeah, Joshua Oppenheimer's two documentaries, Active Killing, Lucas Silence, are both like must watches. I think of the last twenty years. So, well, I know of the Active Killing, yeah, because it had that Oscar buzz. Yes, but uh, no, I I'd never heard of this. It sounds sounds really good though. So yeah, yeah. Why don't you why don't you just uh, slip it my way? And I I'll give shall. it a watch. Yeah, it's a Draft House release too. Both of those. So Ooh. yeah, so it's it got hit some promotion, but it seems like yeah. stuff can die out really quick amongst you know. Star Wars buzz and remake buzz. And <laughs> Star Wars remakes and Marvel movies. How does anything else ever get made? That's right. Yeah. And sad. so that brings us to number one. Are you ready for this? I am. This one goes a little bit back to I'm reaching here. Yeah. Uh, so I was thinking about this long and hard. And uh, I was looking uh, at all the movies that I still think about now. Uh, so in the entire year, it's like, man, I, w- I would watch that right now. Throw that fucker on. Yep. Th- this is my number one movie. And it actually, uh, the, the lead actor in this movie has a brief cameo in my number four pick, Batman v Superman. Do you know who I'm talking about? Uh, There's a lot of brief cameos, but it's yeah. actually one of it's actually one that has a, a, a point to the story. Uh, so that is Mr. Kevin Costner. And my number one pick is JFK, the Oliver Stone jam from 1991. Hot damn. Hot damn. Hot cheese soup, baby. That's how I would describe this movie. Hot cheese soup. Yeah. Uh, So I had never seen JFK. Mm -hmm. And uh, you had uh, pushed it on to me. Uh, because I was trying to get you to read the Stephen King book, 112263, which I think is his best book. Um, That book is absolutely amazing, and I think Stephen King uh, put as much work into that as Oliver Stone did into this movie, Uh, because like after I've read more Stephen King going into his older books, he talks about JFK all the fucking time hmm. so like it was it was like a really big thing to him and he really details it and so i i think i was trying to i was selling that to you mm-hmm. and you're like what about oliver stone's jfk and i was like i've never seen that and you're like what are you like because <laughs> it, it was just like with master commander it's like what are you fucking kidding i was mm-hmm. like no i was like isn't it like four hours long and it's like yeah yeah it is <laughs> but you know the crazy thing about jfk mm. that movie just flies by the editing is so tight, it's yeah. seamless, man. Like, I think I was two and a half hours in when I first looked at, like, a clock, and I was just like, holy shit. <laughs> like, I've been watching this movie for a long time, but it doesn't feel like it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, so people know JFK. I think they uh, do. I, I'll, I think people do. Yeah. But I'll just say that uh, for this movie, it totally – I totally buy it. I am – I'm with you, Oliver. Uh, the conspiracy is real. You You convinced me. Yeah, so, it, uh, yeah, that, that movie yeah. is like super seductive in its presentation oh, of it. Like, no, but it's like, yeah, it, yeah. I think I, that is like the film where, like, when I 
I always pointed out to people, it's like, that's the best edited movie I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, just like the scale of everything, like jumping between like different film stocks, like you're jumping between eight millimeter film, 60 millimeter film, uh, television broadcast cameras, uh, mm-hmm. and it all works so effortlessly and it makes total sense. Um, yeah, like that, so. Just from that front, it's like yeah, no, it's the best edited movie ever. Like everyone should watch mm-hmm. that movie and study it because like yeah, how do you watch like a movie that's like yeah, three and a half hours, like the director's cut of it, and it just flows, flows by. No, it doesn't. It doesn't drag. Uh, the music, mm-hmm. it's got one of the the like one of the John Williams best scores. Uh, yes. Gary Oldman is the chameleon. Uh, oh, playing, yeah. Like, I don't know. Like, it took me a yeah. while to even realize that that was Gary Oldman when I first watched that movie. Mm-hmm. But, and that was like when Gary Oldman was like probably a little less famous than he is now. Um, but I always thought that was like, whoa, that's like not Lee Harvey Oswald. <laughs> that's, yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's, like, that's, Dr- a, that's a fucking actor. That, that's Isn't that, that Sid? That's, that's Drexel. <laughs> Drexel. <laughs> from, from True Romance. That's Sid. Of Sid mm-hmm. and Nancy fame, yeah. No, uh, yeah, JFK, it's like, that's like my, probably my top 20 movies ever. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it's insane that, like, people shit on Oliver Stone. Uh, they're oh. they're out of their minds. Like, he basically gets a pass for life because he made Platoon and JFK. And, like, even, mm-hmm. like, his, like, not-so-great movies, like The Doors, like, that movie's, like, I was, when I watched that this year, I was like, wow, mm-hmm. like, Oliver Stone is so good at his job. Um mm-hmm. Or uh, like even like Nixon is like like Nixon's like sort of like the messier version of JFK, but it's still mm-hmm. good. Uh, like yeah, I dig the movie, but I'm like I'm a big Richard Nixon mark. I I will watch anything with Richard Nixon as a character mm-hmm. in it. Uh, he's like he's like my UFOs. Um, mm. No, I yeah. I agree with you too. I think people do shit on Oliver Stone, uh, and like there's some movies of his I don't like. I actually I'm not really a fan of Natural Born Killers. Oh, I'm neither. Which I, uh, I I don't really I don't get why that movie's so so big but you know what movie of oliver stones that i fucking love mm. your buddy al pacino any given sunday oh. that movie is so <laughs> fucking good man i love that movie really uh, oh, i think man. it's because i played football for so yeah, long I, that's uh, i had i identify with it and uh, you know you got lt in there and oh god it's so good willie beeman he keeps the ladies creaming Jarrett. don't ever forget that <laughs> oh i saw that in theater with uh bobby the the football lover and oh, yeah. uh and steve all the other other football and did i they eat it up too? uh oh yeah i think they I, I don't know if they did actually they, they're more like they like their varsity blues um uh lighter yeah they like their lighter football comedies like i don't even know if bobby's actually seen like friday night lights or anything like that but uh but i know i know he we remember we all went to that and like i was like at that point i was like really into oliver stone and i watched and i was like uh this is a bit too like uh too too much excess like the things he was he's been accused of ever since natural born killers and u-turn and stuff whereas it's like too much and like it's just like ridiculous and like i'm i at that point like i knew nothing about football like everything i've ever learned mm-hmm. about football was from playing madden games um and then no, seriously yeah. because like no ma- no yeah, yeah i know that's yeah that's then, a lot of people are like that i mm-hmm. i can I'll, I'll say this because i played uh, professionally with lo cool j that is exactly how it is right <laughs> so he nailed it the excess yeah the excess no yeah i love that fucking movie it has the absolute best uh sports movie pep talk in, in sports movie history, people will say like maybe Billy Bob's from Friday Night Lights or uh, I don't know, something from Mystery Alaska or some shit like that. But uh, Friday Night Lights has the best Al Pacino's halftime spe- uh, talk. It's the tits, man. 
the tits. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, I like Oliver Stone. And uh, anyone who anyone who's seen JFK, I think, has to like if they if they don't like it, they're just kidding themselves. Oh yeah. Yeah, or if you're not like moved and like frustrated when watching Platoon mm-hmm. at the scene, man, I don't know what's wrong with scene. you. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, well, my number one is uh, a Criterion film that I'd always heard about and was intimidated as hell to watch, and I finally sat down and I watched the six-hour television supercut of it, and that nice. beat, that is Fanny and Alexander. Fucking right. From Mr. Bergman. Um, I'm glad you did it, man. Yeah. No, uh, that movie is amazing. Uh, like, it just look, mm-hmm. it looks amazing. Uh, it's got so much packed into it. Uh, I like, it's one of those, literally one of those movies that, like, I wanted it to keep going, which is crazy yep. to say for a movie that's six hours long. Like, I couldn't wait for it more. It's got, mm-hmm. like, that, that middle chapter with his Lutheran stepfather is, like, oh, one yeah. of, like, one of the greatest screen villains of all time. Um mm-hmm. Yeah, no, like I, I think that movie is like such a masterpiece. Uh, yes, I, I think it's his best movie. I'm th- pretty yep. sure it is his best movie, uh, better than Seven Seal or whatever. Like, it's mm-hmm. incredible. I think about that movie a lot. Um, I think people should rip that movie off more, <laughs> in all the right ways. Like, yeah. why, why not? Like, rip off the best, I guess. So, mm-hmm. but I think a lot of people are maybe turned off by the fact that it's like, oh, I have to watch a six hour long cut of it. And like, yeah. that's the only way to do it. Like, well, I get over it. I couldn't imagine watching that movie with like two hours out of it. Like, there's just yeah. so much packed in there. So, yeah. actually, I have to uh, correct myself. I, I've i seen that movie. I think I said on the show one time that I had watched the long version, which is not true. I, I watched the middle version because uh, roommate Scott has the pack and has the three versions of it, I think we watched the middle one, like the second longest, but not the very long one. So I can't actually speak to the copy you've seen because it had like an hour or two more footage, but uh, the one I watched was uh, super good. So yeah, uh, I'm glad you watched it because, well, well, I guess you're like a super freak. You watch stuff like that, but you're totally right. It's like it's like when I try to give people eleven twenty two sixty three the Stephen King book, and I, I give it to them, and they look at how huge it is, and yeah. like I've I've had people literally just give it back, and they're like, no, they're like, I'm not gonna read that fucking thing. It'd be like, hey, want to watch this six hour movie? No, <laughs> no. So no, yeah. that's very good, very nice, very nice. Yeah, no, yeah, uh, total classic, best movie I saw this year. Uh, and, and I'm glad that it's met with a a film of equal caliber in JFK. You, you would have been a little bit not as impressed if my number one pick was BVS. Well, I would have told you to fuck yourself. (laughs) BVS DOJ. Yeah. Yeah. That's like, that's in that honorable, that's like an honorable mention, man. (laughs) Yeah, I, I know, but, uh, you know what? Fuck it. I don't care. Cause your list. Yeah. But other than that, I would have put in like maybe roar that movie with the lions. Oh, roar. Yeah. So that's my honor. That's my one honorable mention is roar. With yeah. the lions, so. Oh yeah, Roar, Roar is sweet. That's like a that's like the perfect RJ movie. Yeah, we we can talk. I I think I might watch that again one day. But uh, if anyone's unfamiliar, uh, you know how I feel about animals, and that movie is two hours of fucking animals taking it out on people. So <laughs> it is just down. for real, for yeah. real, like just lions and tigers and shit, just actually mauling people, yeah. which is pretty wicked. Yeah, that movie's reckless, and that's what's so yep. wonderful about it. Like, it's just like it's not a good movie or anything like that. But man, no, it's just it's, it's so fun to watch. Mm. You're like, get him, get him, lion. Get him. Bite that guy's ass. 
gosh. You know, so I'm, much fun. I'm looking through possible honorable mentions. Um, I guess I would throw out there. Actually, there's a lot of really good movies that just don't make quite the cut. Um, but I mean, for another film from this year, OJ Made in America, the uh, documentary oh, wow. series, that was really good stuff. Um, was that better than the uh, the FX one? Be- oh, the TV, the the television the show TV? itself. Yeah, the one with yeah. Cuba. Yeah, it's, okay. it's 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 better than that. Because um, I thought that was pretty good. Yeah, no, it's good too. I I liked it. Um, I mean, once you get past like distractingly hilarious makeup on John Travolta and stuff. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, it's, I thought that show was like way better than it any right to be. Um, like for instance, right. that's a show that if you had brought up on a news segment on our podcast, I would have been like, ugh, I'm not looking forward to that at all. And then it turned out, no, that show mm-hmm. actually, uh, actually was pretty good. But yeah, OJ made in America seven and a half hours long. Uh, it's the, it was like originally, it's, it, it, it guess it's like counts as one movie. Cause it's like, it was released at Sundance and spewed yeah. in one go, which is nuts. But, uh, I watched obviously the version that aired as 30 for 30 after the fact. Um, mm-hmm. and it like actually did a really great job of explaining what OJ Simpson was and what he meant to people before he murdered anybody. Cause like to me, like when I, when it happened, like when I was a kid, like in that 93, 94 era, um, I was just like, who's OJ Simpson? Like, I, I wasn't a football person. Mm-hmm. I had no idea. And then it's like, oh, he was in the Naked Gun TV like, movies and stuff. And I went, oh, I haven't even seen those. And then I'd go and watch those because OJ Simpson, the accused murderer, was in them. Uh, but yeah. I, I had no idea about his football career. So this documentary did an excellent job of laying out, like, the run that he made mm-hmm. that like made him like this like sports icon his like history who he was and then they did an entire part i think like episode four is just about the murder which like it was probably the most redundant because i just watched the tv show the <laughs> the fictional version of it i guess mm-hmm. um and so I, that was really fresh in my mind but the last hour or whatever the last act of that documentary is amazing because it lays out just like how dark and shitty and like depressing oj simpson's life was the last like um like decade of his life until he wound up going to jail for stealing mm-hmm. like sports memorabilia like it's just amazing like that is so oh so sleazy <laughs> well what would you do man what would like, i do it's like at the end of the uh the one with cuba he gets like a puppy and he's like, hey, man, want to hang out with me and this puppy? Mm-hmm. And it's like, because who could say no to hanging out with a puppy? And then all those people are like, no, I'm good. And they leave. And instantly you feel that sadness that OJ felt. Oh. So my question to you is, what would you have done if you're in the entire last 20 years of your life? No one wanted to hang out with you or puppies. Uh, just go around wandering the streets saying the juice is loose. The juice. Juice. Uh, juice. Yeah. Was uh, the version you watched, did they have a, a, an awesome Robert Cardassian as a la David Schwimmer, like in the Kubo uh, one? I bet they would have if he were alive still to be interviewed. Oh, right. Because it's, <laughs> I gotcha. Yeah. They should have just had David Schwimmer reenact it. He was no. great. Well, see, that's actually the the other thing with the documentary is like, it's, it's all like, footage like it's almost entirely yeah. just footage there's like really no like I, now that god it seems like it's, it's only been like half a year since i watched it but i think most of it's just like yeah it's all stock footage which is like or a lot of it is and i think there might be some talking head stuff later on but yeah no that's a terrific terrific uh documentary series and people should watch it if they can between fanny and alexander and uh oj that's like uh, a half a day's viewing right there 
a half a day. That's like some people's two weeks. I know. <laughs> you nut bar. Yeah. Well, oh, nice. That's 2016. We we just wrapped it up. It's done, folks. Mm-hmm. A couple days early, but it's over. A couple days early. Well, hey, we still got a, a movie to talk about here. What? So after the break, uh, we're going to buy some kids some candy and a nice balloon. Because we're talking about M, directed by Fritz Lang from 1931. Ooh.
And we're back. And we're talking about M, directed by Fritz Long from 1931. A bit of a run through here. Um, This is a film about a child killer uh, in Berlin in 1931, uh, based kind of on a true story of a serial killer by the name of Peter Kurtzen. Uh, Mm -hmm. But Fritz Lang would deny this, but then, like, later on uh, would confirm this. Uh, Fritz Lang is kind of a questionable source in general. But So anyway, uh, for the last eight months in Berlin, uh, uh, an unknown man has been going around uh, killing children, and uh, sometimes the bodies are found, sometimes they're not, and we don't know what he's doing to these children, but it's left to our imaginations. Mm -hmm. Um, The police are kind of running out of leads. They're just uh, basically targeting organized crime, hoping to shake something loose just to act like they're doing something in the face of public scrutiny. Uh, People are freaking out. They're seeing um, men near children, and they assume the worst and are just like, I don't know, full mob mentality, wild crowd mode. So the police are just, again, targeting the underground, uh, you know, racketeering, gambling, uh, all the usual hotspots. Um, and, of course, this is taking a uh, some money out of the pockets of these uh, criminals. And they're sick of it, and they start trying to figure out what they can do while the police are trying to solve this case through the old-fashioned forensics of fingerprints and gathering information, uh, pulling up names of like people who've been released from mental institutions uh, to see if maybe anyone who's been cleared maybe doesn't deserve to be in the clear. Um, and the criminals come up with an idea of essentially a uh, beggar surveillance system, basically using um, what the film doesn't really underline, which is uh, basically World War One veterans who are crippled and uh, iterant, and they're just like, they have nothing else better to do, but they're going to be paid off, and hey, if you help us find the killer, we're going to give you 1500 bucks, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, this gambit actually does pay off. Uh, as uh, one particular beggar who sold a balloon to uh, Mr. Hans Beckert, uh, played by Peter Lorre, uh, to, to him and a little girl that he, Elise uh, Blackman, I think her name was, uh, he sold him to her while whistling a familiar tune, uh, which is a hail or a Halls of the Mountain King. Uh, mm-hmm. He hears it, and this leads to a chase sequence, a... Um, cat and mouse ish kind of thing where he's being followed uh we get the where the m comes from which is a chalk uh chalky handprint uh m that gets put onto his back which is how they're able to follow him through the city uh around the same time the police have cracked the case they've got a lead uh going to uh beckert's house when he while he was away realizing that he's been writing these notes from there um and he fits the same cigarettes that he was smoking there um but the the gangster types, they catch up to him first. They corner him in an office building where they're able to bring all their uh, facilities together, like their ability to, to break into a building. And uh, they find him, haul him out. Um, mm-hmm. They then bring him in front of a kangaroo trial uh, with no intent of letting him leave alive. Um, the police... Uh, find one of the guys that was left behind at the office building after they'd taken Beckert away, question him. He gives up the whole thing and they kind of show up in the nick of time and they bring Beckert up uh, to real trial. But we never actually find out what his sentence is, what's going to happen to him. And a, a grieving mother just calls out to us to to save the children. 
essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, see, for, for my synopsis this time, I'm trying to go off of, from my memory rather than reading a Wikipedia entry. Um, yeah, I liked it. More, more naturalistic. <laughs> yeah, it feels it feels right, Jerry. It feels just right. So hopefully yeah. people can tell me if that works or not better or not. Mm-hmm. Um, so first thing I'll say about this film is that it's mm-hmm. the earliest film so far we've watched in our creep as it uh, goes back to 1931. The most, the most previous mm. oldest movie we watched was actually the first film we watched, which was Grand Illusion, which was 1938. I thought Spinal Tap was before that. Oh, from what, 1911? Oh, shit. Uh, nice. Um, yeah, yeah. So I'd seen this movie, I've seen this movie a few times. Uh, mm-hmm. I rented it on video way back when from the library because it just sounds awesome. Uh, it's like kind of that just outside of the German expressionist period. I'd always heard of this Fritz Lang character who made this movie Metropolis, crazy Mm sci-fi movie. Um, and Peter Laurie, like I think I mentioned last week, uh, talking about like being a kid, being drawn into like weird looking dudes. Peter Laurie fits into that. He's a, he's a, he's like, if you had to, I mean, I think as a kid I was drawn to him because I could, I would like to draw a picture of him because he's like bulgy eyed, round faced. Got he's got the, he's got this weird <laughs> voice, and it's like I thought he was wicked, like him and Vincent Price, like they like went hand in hand. And oh, they, they even did those okay. uh, those Roger Corman movies uh, together. There's like the Raven or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. So I always like thought he was really neat. So I rented this on VHS, and it turns out uh, I learned actually watching one of the special features on this uh, Blu-ray that what I watched was a. English recut of the film because it actually opens up with an opening title credit sequence where it's like the the hand with the M on it but it has like the opening an actual opening credit scenes of like the credits of the actors and it's all with the uh, Halls of the Mountain King music playing over top of it and then the movie starts mm-hmm. it's very like weird because I totally forgot about that till I was watching this uh, little thing on the history of the physical history of M and like it's different right. edits and whatnot. Um mm-hmm. and yeah, I I thought the movie was really cool back then. Um, and then it had been a few years since I'd watched it. Uh, my friend uh, Corey, I think he had watched. We had bought it on DVD after Criterion re-released it and uh, watched it then. Thought it was pretty good. Uh, and then I haven't watched it since, and that was like eight years ago. So mm-hmm. uh, in the last few days, I've now watched this film three times. Uh, once with commentary. Uh, I just, I'm just like delving in, man. Just digging in You're deep. doing it. Because um, I felt like the first time I watched it, there was something missing for me. And I couldn't really quite put my finger on what it was. Like, it was just like, oh, this movie is kind of, like, slow-paced and kind of, I don't know, Mm -hmm. just, like, slow. I couldn't really get into what was going on. And I was kind of, like, underwhelmed almost by it. And I was like, what the hell's going on? And then I, I watched all the special features on it. Um, and then I listened to the commentary track. wasn't a great commentary track. There was like these guys talking about like the the the, the theme of the circle, and I was just like, Aww. oh, this is not that interesting. Um, I realized when I was like going through the library uh, collection at work that uh, we didn't have like the best selection of books on Fritz Lang, let alone on this film. And I was like, kind of like really like really like considering how well regarded M is, I was expecting a lot more. Um, the one book I grabbed on it, it's um, like Fritz Lang, uh, his films and his life or something like that. And there's like an entire chapter on this book. And all it is is about his use of sound. Like, And it's like a thorough like right. scene by scene beat down on sound. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Yeah, I dig it. And um, 
Yeah, so I was like, what the hell is this movie about? And then I lent you my copy, and then I was like, oh, it's on YouTube. And I felt this, like, inclination, I should watch this movie again. Mm-hmm. And that's when the movie clicked for me. Because um, that's when I started really noticing, like, the visual stuff. <coughs> Excuse mm-hmm. me for my dry throat. Um Gross. And like, yeah, no, I just started like being like, oh, wow, like this is like such like a graphically complex movie. Um, they used to mm-hmm. like hands and like weird like close ups and documentation and faces. I don't know. That's when the movie all started really falling into place for me. Um, right. But maybe you can continue, RJ, while I drink some delicious uh, ginger ale. Ooh, is that Schweppes or is that Canada Dry? Uh, it Schweppes, people. False Schweppes. alarm. Di- it di- was not Canada dry. Yeah, diet ginger ale Schweppes, yes. <sighs> so lame, Jarrett. Uh, so my thoughts on this movie, I'd never seen it before. And uh, as you've mentioned before, we have had a dry spell. Well, I have uh, a dry spell of movies that I did not like, movies that were not good. And I can say that now, finally, we are back to fucking good movies. Finally. Finally. After like four or five movies that I just hated. Uh, well, not hated, but I just, uh, I was like, why are any of these movies in here? Underwhelmed. Uh, underwhelmed. Uh, I was watching this and I was immediately sucked in. I was like, fucking right. I was like, this looks amazing. Um, you see it right at the start where like, uh, um, this whole movie has it, but I noticed right away, like his long static shots mm-hmm. where it's just like stills of things. And it really comes through really well at the start when, uh, uh, you see the first kid get, um, abducted yeah. and then it shows like the mother setting the table and stuff. And then yeah. you just have like, like a 10 second shot of like the empty plate in the chair. And then the 10 second shot of like an empty hallway and then, like the old, like wherever he took the kid, you have an empty shot of that as well. Like, well, you get the fucking great. you get the field shot, and then the ball rolls yep. out from behind the bushes, and then it yep. cuts to the balloon caught in the like uh, electrical uh, tower yep. and just blows away. And it's like a weird, mm-hmm. oh yeah, yeah. No, it's a pretty pretty excellent opening sequence, and there's no sound. Yep. And it's like, awesome. Yeah, that's that's the other thing. Like what you were saying with the sound, that was one thing I noticed a lot too. Is uh, it cuts a lot to like almost silent. Uh, film because there's just no sound at all for uh, it cut it does it a couple times and it's so effective like I wish people did that now yeah well so this is Fritz Lang's first sound movie um, yeah that's what yeah, I thought yeah he resisted yeah. it for like because like because when he made uh it's like Woman in the Moon uh mm-hmm. that like he like they were they wanted him to make it a sound movie because like by that mm-hmm. point like that's like 19. 19- 1929 sound was available and they're like yeah you got to do that because that's what people are paying to see and he was like no i, I don't want to do it like he was like right. old school right like he'd been making movies for uh the last like 15 years and he's like i, I don't mm-hmm. want to give that up so uh yeah no they uh so that movie didn't do well and so finally i guess with m he's like fine i'm gonna make a movie about a child killer <laughs> yeah <laughs> and, and it's gonna have sound yeah. <laughs> That's the other thing I noticed, like, um, or that I thought right away. I was like, man, this is some dark material for uh, the 30s. Like, like I know there's stuff like that out there, but uh, in my experience, a lot of the stuff I've seen, like, pre-World War II, it doesn't really get into things like child murderers and Peter Lorre-looking motherfuckers and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But, uh, yeah, this movie's fucking amazing. Um all the long shots. I'm just a sucker for that kind of stuff. Like just like I said, long static shots of just nothing yeah. or it's like open spaces or you get a scenery shot. 
Uh, he's also a master of uh, certain overhead shots. There's lots of very nice overhead shots of streets and uh, people like converging onto each other from alleys. Uh, he, as I think, yeah, the sound is fucking awesome. Uh, the themes are wicked good. His in like the sound in the silence, but also just the use of like whistling. And it's not like the obvious one where it's like he whistles when he abducts kids. But like yeah. I also noticed it when uh, they were using the beggars and the beggars were like whistling to e- each other from like oh, streets yeah. away, like to like to alert that the guy was like coming across. Like yeah. I thought that was really cool. Like mm-hmm. it was just like, hey, man, we're using whistling again. Isn't that neat? Like stuff like that I thought was really cool. Um, but yeah, he, uh, his transitions between scenes are awesome. He does a really nice thing that I talked about it before. Like, uh, the other time I noticed it also was in high and low where like, it's a common thing now, but you'll, you'll be seeing scenes play out and then it'll like, uh, go into other scenes, but the voiceover is the same throughout. So it's like mm. a guy talking and then you see like a sequence of different scenes kind the of weaving pre- yeah, yeah, each other. During the procedural, the procedural part. Yeah, because like, yeah, because the whole first thing, so the first part of the movie, it's like you get the, the dramatic opening credits stuff like that, that, where it's just like a painting of the hand, which I thought, like, I was like, whoa, I don't remember that. Like, that's really mm-hmm. nice. And it's just like blackness and it's just a film by Fritz Lang. And then it's just like cut, cut. And then you get the blackness and then the girl singing. And then it's just this Charlie's girl singing this morbid little song. Mm-hmm. And then the like it's like an overhead shot and then it pans kind of over to like the mother saying like don't sing this mm-hmm. horrible music and then they kind of mutter after she leaves and then go back to singing and then you get those long like those like um i think i described it as like just like uh the stillness in the sound mm-hmm. instilling dread like it's just like because right. it plays like a silent film but you know there's supposed to be sound there and it's actually like watching it now it's the absence of the sound that you expect now in movies that like yeah. it's like kind of off-putting um in the uh, uh one documentary i've been I've already mentioned before like the um about the physical history of m there was like uh mm-hmm. i think when it first came to america in the 50s uh they actually put in like like doll like dolby sound like they, they put in sound effects into the over the film so like the scene where like the cops are kind of raiding the um the, the 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 thieves den and there's like it's like all played silently when you watch it mm-hmm. in the movie but in the american release of it initially there was like sound effects like cars screeching and like bad footsteps like overdubbed on top mm-hmm. of it and like weird like it's like sounds are like really unnecessary because like visually you right. see it and you know it's there um and it's like, well, you know, you don't need that. Like, it doesn't even matter if mm-hmm. it's there or not, which is hilarious because now everything is like so like the sound design of everything is so minute. Like everything is there or fleshed out and like overly right. loud and stuff like that. Like it brings attention to itself. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, that like that opening scene goes right into uh, like into the procedural part um, right. where like the, and it's like, yeah, you get like them talking over stuff and you're getting to see the actually exactly like in high and low of like that, the actual police doing the procedural police work, like going to the places and there's like the mm-hmm. voiceover narration carrying over what those things were. Right. And it's a way to yeah. compress information. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's awesome. And then another cool way he showed that too is like, he like did this thing where he jumped between different like groups kind of. So it was like, you had the, the scene where all like the the crime bosses are talking yeah. and then you have the scene where all the cop bosses are talking and they're talking about the same stuff but it bounces back between the two 
groups kind of where yeah. it's like they're like how do we find this guy and it bounces back to the other group and it's like we got to like do it like this and then it bounces back like i thought that was really cool to see as well like because again that like that's something that you see in tv or movies now but uh for this early on it was like oh man that's super awesome like yeah i haven't seen anything like that earlier than that mm-hmm. i guess is what i mean to yeah. say well because i mean this movie is like i mean it basically in a lot of ways like it, it streamlined invented the police procedural and the serial killer film yep <laughs> pretty much exactly yeah yeah, so from what I've seen about the old ones, this is the best one yet. Yeah. Uh, I, I may be so bold to say, Jared, that this is one of the better movies we've watched so far even. Oh, Top five for me, for wow. sure. Wow, wow. Yeah, I, I really like this. And I was actually, I was uh, I was not in the mood yesterday. Oh. Tired from uh, Christmas shenanigans, like yeah. just doing stuff all day for like five days. And it was like last night, I was like, the last thing I want to do is watch a movie. And I looked and it was two hours long. And I was like, oh, no. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> but uh, no, it uh, it scooped me right in. And I was like, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's good stuff. It's, it is, it, it's, yeah, it's like, like I said, like, I don't know what, like, my first, so when I first rewatched this movie this weekend, mm-hmm. I think it might have just been like, watching like christmas movies and being like, exhausted and like yeah. kind of like not like i'm mean, like all right gotta watch m and i watched it and i was mm-hmm. kind of like hmm something for this is missing for me and then i couldn't put my finger on it like and i was kind of like oh man rj's gonna hate this movie now <laughs> and i was like nope. uh, no yeah. and this is going yeah. to my thought process but then like when i actually sat down and was like watching it like where like, i had it on my laptop uh, mm-hmm. watching it just like the YouTube version which actually looks pretty good uh, mm-hmm. and like my full attention was just on it and like, it goes like right up to my face and I couldn't like oh let's see what's on my phone let's just, mm-hmm. let's just take a look at other things because I've seen this movie before and then it's like not working for me but like actually just sitting there watching it and like looking for those visual cues and like just like right. uh, print screening constantly and like making mm-hmm. an Instagram post and I was like really like into this movie all of a sudden being like man I love this movie <laughs> like it just like yeah. totally like turned around for me in a lot of ways because i was just like yeah there's like so much there's like um, so, so much going on here uh it looks so good um mm-hmm. and like uh what was i gonna say with it so like uh my friend lawrence uh mm-hmm. actually like about four years ago i guess he was taking a film studies class and he wrote a paper on this movie and uh because i was talking to him about this scene like man there's really not much written about this movie and i'm kind of like bummed out by it and he's like well i'll send you what i've got and i read his paper and it's actually like one of the better things i've read about it because he just talks about how it's like this is like a really pessimistic movie and like that goes oh, back yeah. to what you were saying like man this movie's like fairly dark for what it is because i mean like there's no answers in this film um mm-hmm. so like the film was written by um uh, uh fritz lang's wife at the time uh thea von harbo and like mm. she actually wrote like a ton of stuff with him, like Metropolis she worked on. Um, they actually, their relationship didn't fall apart till uh, Testament of Dr. Mabuse, which is a future criterion creep. Yes, um, it is. And like, apparently, Chris Nolan favorite. Yeah. Uh, Sorry. I was really, yeah. I was like thinking about watching um, some more Fritz Lang stuff for this episode, but mm-hmm. it, it's just the wrong time of year. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because um, there's a bunch of his stuff that I haven't seen for a while or I, I own and I haven't watched like uh, Mabuse the Gambler and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. um then like, actually his like later stuff I actually think are even like in some ways uh just as good if not better particularly uh, the big heat with uh mm-hmm. which has got Lee Marvin in it um Ooh. and then there's uh, his one film the uh, Scarlet Street with Edward G Robinson that's really good uh mm-hmm. yeah Fritz Lang he's he's he has quite the filmography behind him um so yeah, like oh, I get one thing I'll mention. Uh, I guess now is uh, I guess like Peter Laurie could not whistle, so uh, 
the the his wife. So Thea Von Tarbo did the whistling in the for the film. I noticed that. You can tell like uh if you if you actually are looking at his lips. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I just did like whenever I heard the listening yeah. I or with the whistling I looked at his lips. I was like, I wonder if he's really doing that. And then you can tell like he's trying to, but it's not totally in sync. Mm-hmm. But uh um no, you you're you're totally right about the pessimistic stuff. Like I was also thinking like um it's neat that they like it's not like an examination of mental illness, but they're like they're actually talking about this shit. And like people even today, like don't acknowledge mental illness in like the way that uh, it Whoa. should be. Like, you know what I mean? Like compulsion and like just like he, he like his whole like plea at the end. He's like, I can't help it. He's like, yeah. I don't want to do these things, but I have to. And yeah. then, you know, people still respond like that. It's like, fuck mm. you. Well, it's I mean, like, yeah, well, I mean, like I was like, yeah, like things i was thinking about while watching this again was just like um like yeah like basically pedophilia fears and stuff like that i mean yeah. it's like it's like this step below child killing but we kind of know <laughs> in this movie that there was probably some sex acts also occurring because generally yeah. they're not isolated it's not like in a uh, nightmare on elm street <laughs> where it's like yeah. he's just a kid killer he doesn't touch them until later on in the re- modern remake or whatever yeah. but um yeah it's like the same, like that mob mentality. Mm-hmm. I mean, in our, uh, our our own backyard, there was like this like horrific attack on like a woman, um, and like uh, and, yeah. like and so I guess I'm jumping ahead here, but so there was a uh, I also watched the M remake from 1951. Um, there's a remake. There's an American remake of it called called M. Uh, it's from the same producer. He wanted uh, Fritz Lang. They actually wanted initially to do it, but he had no interest. He's like, "Well, I already made the movie. Why would I do it again?" Yeah. Which is the right answer. Uh, yep. But then uh, another guy, Joseph uh, Losi, directed it, and I watched it, and it's actually good. Like, it's good. It's not M hmm. good, but it's actually a fair, it's a good like pulpy like Los Angeles set uh, right. story. It's the exact same story, but there's actually mm-hmm. a really good line that's like, I think it's actually the best line of the, between the two movies where like kind of like mm-hmm. the, the safe cracker character. Um, yeah. he, he's got like the line where he's like, well, you know, um, like the public, they don't care about us. They don't care about the, like us breaking the law. Like they only worry about us when it's in the newspapers or like the, they're putting a spin on it that they we actually care about yeah. what we're doing. But when there's a child killer, people really care and they want results and they want them caught right now. Um, and I'm like, I was mm-hmm. like, wow, that's like super smart. Like I've never actually mm-hmm. seen anyone say that in a film before. Like that's like, I don't know. It's like completely accurate. Like people don't care about it. And like I was saying, like in our own backyard, this like woman was attacked, like brutalized, and like people mm-hmm. freaked out. Like if you went on like Facebook comments, people were nuts. Like and they're yeah. they, they're just like people turn violent and like like this yeah. person should be murdered and like there should be no trial. They should be dead, yeah. like outright. I, I I'll also say just to set a little bit of background mm-hmm. here, or not background, but context, like yeah. where we live, not a lot goes on. It like the majority is... of our population is senior citizens, <laughs> so there, it's pretty it's pretty quiet around here. So yeah, well we're we're, we're kings of the city. <laughs> and, yes, uh, correct. Yeah, and uh, so anyway, yeah, 
so this like yeah this like something like this is like there's really no like this doesn't happen often and when it does like it brings out like people like and like kind of the worst in people and best in people because yeah. you find out how much people care about the community and like the safety and like they want the they want the community to be safe but at the same time there's people who are just like they're just like violent and like there's like I've I've talked I talked to people who like knew mm-hmm. like the knew of the victim and they're like like yeah some of my friends and I we were talking about going out there and like finding him I'm like well how would you know who he is like you're just gonna beat somebody up it's like it was nuts like the mob mentality is like a real thing that like i don't understand um i uh, but yeah so in this film i mean it depicts like there's no answers in this film i mean there's like no solution like the film like ends itself before other than like we have to think about the children like we have to like that woman's like call at the end um and in the uh 1951 remake Mm-hmm. There's like this, like they're they're watching the t- they're watching television, and there's like a little film. It's like this is what your kids shouldn't do, and it's like Edgar Wright style. Don't to talk, get into cars Aww. and get rides. Don't yeah. and like it's like hilarious. Like I'm like, but yeah, like that's like the education of the film. Other than it's like it's a sleazy mm-hmm. thriller, um, in more so in the uh, '50s one, which is fine. I I, I love me some right. sleazy's noir thriller stuff. Um, yeah, you're, yeah, you're total sleaze. Total sleaze, but yeah, yeah. Um, so actually, I'll throw this out to you. Uh, did were you aware watching this that this film was not like shot at all in the city of Berlin? It was shot all on like sound stages, and it's like a studio city. You can't tell that at all. Like, it, like there, there's a lot of shots where it seems like they're just out in streets for real. Yeah. Um, I guess if you were like really paying attention to it, you could probably tell. But as a guy who's just enjoying the movie. Uh, it, I thought that uh, a lot of it was just filmed like on location. Yeah, I mean, I I knew like I think right away, which I think like maybe is like something that would be like my like well my nitpick was like I don't like that it's not shot on location because I can sure. I could tell because like I realized like in my mind I was like for 1931 there's no way that this film would look the way that it does like the way the colors look and the <laughs> consistency they're like the, the skies aren't blown out white they don't sh- actually shoot the skies because there is no sky they're in a they're in a giant yep. air like uh like old uh, uh air care or hangar bay essentially that's where, that's where they are yeah. like, it's a hangar outside of uh, berlin where they filmed it mm-hmm. and it's like a built city for the purposes of filming movies they wouldn't have been able to film right. that movie the way and have it look the way it would be like like a lot more grainier um because they'd have to be using like a um I guess uh, lower ISO film or whatever to, to give it like more like a washed out look. It would look different. So um, it's too like to, to the credit of the movie. Like it's supposed, to, it has to look a particular way, and it looks great because of it. But I always like. I think I was mentioning before like how great it is to watch a movie that's shot on location, like Long Good Friday, uh, right. like Sid and Nancy. Despite those movies not being like the best movies, they have like a real like presence to them. Whereas like that's one thing you could see about M is it doesn't have that presence. Where the remake, the nineteen fifty one, it's actually shot on location in Los Angeles in Bunker Hill. Having played, mm-hmm. uh, I've never been to Los Angeles, the city, but I've played L.A. Noir, which does an amazing job of recreating uh, Los Angeles of that era. And like mm-hmm. I was like when I was watching, I'm like, oh, I remember driving up those st- steps once in off Bunker Hill, and like mm-hmm. it's like oh wow, like it really is like fairly accurate in that video game so i mean like there's something to say about locations but uh i I think that's like a minor nitpick you could have with m because at the same time like um like my my friend's uh thing that he wrote 
he really talked about how like it's like this story about like the city and i've read other mm-hmm. people talk about like how like you could view the city as a uh, as the protagonist of the film which is always sure. something i chuckle about it's like people sure. talk about uh, i think i wrote a paper myself about how bernard herman's score in vertigo is like uh, a character in the film it's mm-hmm. it's like the laziest film thing you can write <laughs> yeah but it probably got you a decent grade sure right? i got that a you you know what i just realized too I, something i wanted to it's totally not related to what you were saying but okay. uh, as you were talking about those things you know what's something i bet people who write uh film studies courses on this movie now talk about what one of the reasons i really liked it it made me super nostalgic about things that are lost to time and what i mean by that is like the power of like newspaper and print uh <laughs> fucking pocket watches landline phones papers access to information stuff like that like i was totally just like watching it i was like man i i'm i'm like that woody allen type of guy who's just like i wish i was alive then i wish i lived in weimar republic berlin (laughs) yeah like you're you're always yearning for like an old generation or something Mm -hmm. but i was really like impressed by or not impressed i guess like i think nostalgic is the right word where it's just like like you there's so many scenes that are like dedicated to people who are like hovering over a newspaper or reading it out loud to crowds and stuff like that because that was their only source of information that fucking guy pulls out 19 pocket watches and stuff like that like stuff like that just really um dazzles me Uh, i think it's so so neat to see jer i love it i love it a a long forgotten era of innocence Yeah, but there's all so, really, there's like really good reasons we kind of moved away from all those things. I mean, like my yeah, uh, I know. my iPod is pretty sweet. I mean, uh, I remember like even yeah. in 2005, I wanted a smartphone then, and they they weren't invented for another like year and a half or whatever. But I I, I wanted one then. I was like, I'm gonna get a Nintendo DS and buy like the like wireless cartridge game that you can get for it to mm-hmm. use it. And, like it was like garbage. Um, yeah. But it's like that was like I wanted that then. So. Um, I don't know. I, I don't maybe have that same nostalgia, particularly maybe in this film, because this film like depicts a pretty like terrible existence of just children disappearing and like the po- police are powerless to find powerless. them. The the the, the yeah. underworld is actually better suited. Um, and then you have like yeah, you have like the the streets are just covered and strewn with like World War One veterans that have been abandoned by the government, which is all like. Uh, how it all helps lead to like the rise of the uh, the Third Reich in a mere like two years, um, which mm-hmm. is like uh, there's like there's something to be said about like that backdrop of the film of like mob mm-hmm. mentalities and sort of uh, the way the police are con- uh, conducting their investigation and uh, like this idea of the, the the death penalty like in the case of mm-hmm. uh, a character like. Uh, um, Peter Lorre's, uh, which apparently I guess there's like the one thing that always gets brought up is like Joseph Goebbels actually has a diary entry um, about the film. And mm. he, he was like, yeah, he's going to be working for us one of these days. Um, but Fritz like never did. He actually fled yeah. Germany, went to America because he's like, nope, I'm not one of these guys. But his wife, who he mm-hmm. split up with, because um, I guess she like started like having sex with this like younger uh, East Indian man. Um, but like she like basically she wound up working for the Nazi party um, and like paying them a bunch of money to basically keep her boyfriend alive and like other Indian guys around there it just sounds messed up and like I mean she 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 got out of the war and like I guess she got like some sort of medal because she wasn't like an evil Nazi but 
Uh, sure. sure sure yeah there's all sorts sure. of things there um yeah it was one film later actually testament of dr moose uh, moose will be interesting because that'll fall into that uh directors in the middle of divorce movies <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm, just, right. I'm curious how uh women hold up in that particular movie or probably the subsequent movie more so um, I, I look forward to your letterboxed list of uh, <laughs> movies that oh, I'm gonna make uh, it. Di- yeah, I gotta do the research. I gotta have the time. Um, there's, there's like the one scene that like uh, I really remember from M, and when I was watching it again, I was like, "Does that scene actually happen in this movie, or am I like imagining another like silent film?" And then I went, "Oh no, there it is. It's when uh, Peter Laurie's in the uh, the office building." And because I was like, what happens? Like, how did that happen in the movie? Like, how do we get to that scene? And then I'm like, oh, yeah, because it turns into like this like Ocean's Eleven type heist film where like the the prize Mm -hmm. is a child killer. Yeah, he he is Andy Garcia's uh, stash of money. Oh, it's very nice. Actually, that that's actually one part. Like if I had any like criticisms, criticisms of this movie, it's uh, I think where he's locked in the building and then when they have the vault man at the police station, I think that stuff runs a little long. Like you could trim that down for sure. That's my only real criticism of this is uh, those two things. The re- the rest of the movie I was totally on board with. I was My interest was focused completely. But uh, when they were trying to find him in the building and then the police uh, station scene afterwards, I was like, ugh. I was drifting a little bit, I guess I should say. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, yeah, that's no, my that's my only real criticism of the movie. Yeah, I felt that too uh, this time around. But then, like when I did that, like my third rewatch of it, when I was just like watching it on the laptop, it like it went it, by really. The movie actually the movie went by really smoothly. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's like once I kind of got down the structure of it and realized it's basically told in nine parts, and each sequence like kind of doesn't ever overstates welcome. You kind of know, okay, we have to do this scene to get to this scene, and then we have to do this and this. Like each each. Um, thing like i think nowadays like you could do that same story and like you would you would run out of time to fill up like because it would because mm-hmm. now the editing is so much more concise and dense um yep. and like, it dumps out like nuance or like character or anything like that it just rushes right through mm-hmm. um uh another thing i guess i mentioned too is uh so uh, uh otto wernick he's the guy who plays inspector uh Lohman. uh oh, we, yeah. we actually get to see him again playing the same role in testament of dr mabuse sweet yeah so i wonder if we'll get that nice low angle shot of his uh his, uh, his junk <laughs> oh god uh yeah you get a really good shot of just I, his entire package just pushed to the side i do i do not understand that shot yeah, why all. is it in there i have no idea it's like so i think it like it accentuates how exhausted he is like because like at that point he's like yeah he's like all like leads have been exp- like they're done. They're everything's been yeah. expired. Like they're they've run out of angles. He's just like oh like now all we're waiting for is goddamn um, uh, Becker to come back to his apartment and we can arrest him. But he's like just exhausted and tired and like smoking away. And then the guy comes in. Hey, can you help and like ask like say that he killed the night watchman so he'll like give up what the hell they were doing in that office building for? And he's like, oh okay, something to do. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, no, I I was wondering if you were going to bring that up, but uh, it's very bizarre because it's like the whole movie plays out and then you just get this like crotch shot of this like <laughs> mildly overweight, like middle-aged guy and you're like, what? Yeah, and it's like, yep, there's his dick in those trousers. <laughs> yeah, I, I wonder if it, maybe uh, old Fritz Long had a, uh, a thing for Schlong? Big Willie Bowman. 
Fritz Schlong. <laughs> yeah. He had a thing for that uh obese man junk and he he, he was like we he's like this is really going to this is really going to uh show uh you know economic struggle. Uh-huh. And that's how he explained it to the actors. Mm-hmm. But really he was just like, "Ooh, baby." Oh, baby. Um yeah, uh, one of my uh, favorite lines from this film is, "Hey, stop snoring, you'll wake up the lice." <laughs> That, oh, that, that 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 is the kind of film this is. I think you that's all, a that's a Looney Tunes line. Yeah, for you. I think you had a good uh, screen cap too about like the smell of cheese, like the stink oh, of cheese. It, I I had to rewind that because I, I thought it was so funny. That's in the same was, sequence. Yeah, because like dudes, like there's different tables of guys like opening up stuff. Like yeah. there's like a table of guys like basically going through garbage, and then there's a table of guys like opening up sandwiches. And the guy, the one guy's just like, oh god. This cheese stinks so good, mm-hmm. and you're just like, hmm? hey, I guess. But you know what? That's people do like stinky cheese. I like the blue cheese every now and then, Jer. Yeah, yeah. So I thought I thought that was very fun. Mm-hmm. I liked it a lot. There's also other fun things. Did you see that guy smoking a cigar in a pipe? Yes. That's I've never seen anything like that before. Is that the it wildest like, thing you've ever seen? <laughs> yeah, it was like a whole cigar in a pipe, and I was just like, what the fuck? I didn't know you could do that. So it seems a little bit redundant. It's like just nope. use one or mm-hmm. one or the other. No rules in 1931, I guess. I guess not, yeah. man. Um, but, uh, I guess we'd be remiss though to like not even like we haven't really talked about like Peter Lorre in this movie. Like who? Uh, like like there there is no movie without Peter Lorre. <laughs> like cause right. he's like I don't know because like he's like not even in this as much as you think. Like he like disappears for long periods. Like like the first. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know, forty-five minutes or something like that. I don't think yeah, he's, he's in not this. even. And then he shows up again, like he's always kind of off in the corner, off to the side, writing mm-hmm. a note or something. And then when he actually starts the trailing the girl, and then like you get that, like him, like trying to find his next victim. You get that whole process, mm-hmm. and like there's the shot of him when he's like looking in the um, the one store window, and there's like all these knives in the reflection that kind of circulate around his head. And then he catches like yeah. a, a view of her, and he just like basically like blows his load in his pants. That's the type of look he's got. And it's like yeah. Jesus, <laughs> and uh, like or that shot of him like uh, looking in the mirror, making the faces, like yeah. just distorting it, bulgy eyed motherfucker, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, and then like his like his scene at the end, which like <clears throat> so I was like uh, again that documentary about the physical history of M. Um, <clears throat> it's really amazing to watch like the battle days of like well. Unfortunately, the Weinstein company still does this shit, but like, mm-hmm. uh, like these companies that would take a film, like say from Germany, and then they'd hack it up for their particular market. So, for instance, um, like for the French version, like there's just subtle things they would do. Like, so if there's like German mm-hmm. text, like when they're looking at one of those like old like news like papers or whatever want ads or like um, police things, they'd like replace that text with the French text, which is fine, but there's like one of the shots in that movie gets kind of like screwed up with it because that's the first time you see Peter Laurie in silhouette being cast on that poster and they replaced it right. with French text and then they had to shoot another guy wearing a fedora. So it's like, wow. oh, that's crazy. And then um, I guess for like the end of the movie, Peter Laurie did his whole final scene in French for the French version of the film. And it's like shot a little differently. Um, it's just like, it's like the framing's a little bit off and like, doesn't look the same. His performance is way different. Like it's far mm-hmm. more like manic and shouty, like more of like French shouty, angry man, rather than like desperate, sad and like out of his mind, uh, in his native German. 
Um, yeah. So it's like that kind of thing is, and then of course there's like a side by side between the mm-hmm. performances. And it's like, wow, like that's, that's really amazing watching the same actor do the exact same material in different, two different languages that I guess mm-hmm. he's fluent in, but it just, it just plays completely differently. Um, Could you imagine that today? Think about like your best actors and stuff like that and be like, okay, do the same movie, but in a different language. Yeah, I mean, it would it would it wouldn't happen. But I mean, they they would yeah. do different things. Like they would change like the nationality of the villains' countries and stuff like that. Because like they do that with like yeah. the Chinese releases of those Marvel movies. Um, and then like the Weinstein's, they like to take movies from like Asia and just like re-edit them. Like ah, you don't we don't need those twenty minutes. That won't yeah. uh, that won't keep the American audiences happy. We know what's best for people. They're not adults. We are. Uh, they might be right. Yeah, never are, never are. Oh, and then and then they're dubbed, and then they're dubbed as yeah. well, which is actually kind of as bad as that. Um, but then, yeah. So one thing, uh, too, is there's like it's like in the middle of this documentary, there's like a big section that's dedicated to a uh, one of those like Nazi propaganda films. I think it's like the Eternal Jew or something like that. Um, and it's just like them just presenting like anything that's like interestingly made in German art is like being like, well, this was because of the Jews and their nefarious influence on art and culture and including mm-hmm. physics. Cause at one point, uh, this, in this, in this documentary, it refers to Albert Einstein as the relativity Jew. <laughs> is that not what people call him now? Uh, not if amongst my circle of friends. <laughs> no wonder I've been getting a lot of bad glances at work. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh yeah, it's like the relativity Jew. <laughs> Oh, RJ. Like, huh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I also like that they have a uh, a uh, pseudo Sigmund Freud in this movie. Oh yes, they uh, do. Good uh, call. You see, you see, because uh, he does this because of his wild sexual compulsions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's even got like the tufts of hair on the side, and yep. he's like, mm. yeah, yeah, fun stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I guess like other notes on my, on the M remake, uh, the American mm-hmm. remake, which I would like tell people, check it out if you like M. It's I'll like, watch it. Yeah. It's like not too, it's not too bad. Uh, I, it doesn't have like a great copy of it out there either. I think it's like mm-hmm. kind of like just above VHS quality. Um, it's got a, little, a bit more ramped up mob panic. Like there's more examples mm-hmm. of like guys just like, Oh, Hey, I'll help this girl who's slipping on her roller skates over to this step and goes, what are you doing? What are you doing? We got the killer over here. <laughs> Which yeah. I, I that stuff was always uh, great, um, mm-hmm. and it yeah like I said like it ties into like modern things about like you know there's like stories of like fathers who post photos of themselves with their like children in bathtubs like on social media and suddenly oh, it's like yeah. oh my god that man's trying to rape those children because it's only men who like never molest children so it's like people still do that yeah. and it's, they don't need like a maniac uh stalking the city for eight months people are perpetually afraid of like like the pedophile lurking around the corner mm-hmm. waiting to get their kids um, Rightfully so yeah and I guess like, I'm always on the book for those guys. Jerry. Well, I mean, it ties right back into uh, that particular group we've mentioned before on this very podcast, the creep catchers ah, <laughs> and, and, and their, their righteousness. And uh, there's like, well, I think recently there's like the one guy uh, North of us who just like, he like really wanted to get this guy and like the guy wasn't biting, but he kept like pushing and pushing and pushing to a point where like the guy showed up kind of just to like stop these messages and the guy's like see i told you you're a sicko and then like he has now since been charged with harassment because it's like of course yeah it's just, oh my god people are deranged when it comes to this uh this particular dark chapter in humanity 
of just, well, you know, this thing that happens. Uh, it's horrible, but mm. I'll tell you about it sometime. Yeah, you'll tell me all about it. Uh, other thing I checked out was I watched. There's a uh, William Friedkin directed interview with Fritz Lang, uh, mm, with Fr- with cool. William Friedkin doing the interview in. It's like from 1974, so like just like I think right around Exorcist time. Um, is he wearing the uh, Pacino's clothes from uh, Cruisin' in the interview? No, no, not yet. He hasn't found oh. that side yet. Um, but it's like it's kind of an underwhelming presentation like it's very like it's just black and white shot in black and white and like the audio on the documentary is like very quiet and it's just talking heads and so there's some sort of like mm. some uh, artful direction of a camera panning within this this conversation of just two guys but i found like um fritz long very like evasive like he seemed to be, he'd be asked a question because uh. like one of the big things that i would mention uh i guess like going back to like peter laurie's performance in like the film too is like like did you find it like interesting that like you're kind of like put in the position where you're like emphasize you're empathizing with with uh laurie like you're kind of like you're you're kind of rooting for him like to get away like when he's like being trapped like you would like any sort of like uh underdog even though you know what they've done but you're not but you've never actually been shown what he's mm-hmm. done so it's kind of left to your imagination so it's not like hard facts that we know anything so it's like actually like a fairly sympathetic portrayal of a monster mm-hmm. um and so um like william freaking asks fritz long about this and he's like well, what are you talking about like i i, I want to leave it to the mm-hmm. audience like he's like he seemed to not get what he was being asked or um the one thing that became clear after watching that like bit about like the the nazi propaganda film which was included on the this documentary because at one point like the nazis uh they were like kind of saying like here's an example of a jew named peter lorry who's trying to uh, show that mm-hmm. it's the victim's fault and they're, they're showing the sequence of him like his monologue in the in that basement as like uh a, a cha- like, this film's championing like child mm-hmm. killers and it's like wow like i mean you could go in that direction. So I think maybe Fritz Lang remembered that and, think, and thinking that like William Freakin's like asking him those questions and he's kind of still uh, sensitive to his like old accusations from Nazis that he was like sympathizing or sympathizing with uh, a child killer. Right. But so I mean like I thought that was like interesting in the film because like, it's like a fil- the film makes like all these like really different um, uh, stretches I guess like in like in perform- like there's no clear morality. There's no clear answers. There's no answer. Like mm-hmm. the, the police and the the gangsters are working separately from one another with similar goals um, in, in the sense that like the police kind of want to stop these things from happening. And the, and the gangsters want this to stop happening because it's costing them money and bringing undue attention to them. Much like the police, they, they don't like the attention of the public and being yelled at by chiefs to, of like, you gotta catch this guy. This is, what are you doing? You need to do your work. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. No, I, I feel you, man. Like that's interesting. I don't, I wonder why he was so skittish about it. Uh, like I said, like I think that maybe it was those like that that history of it being used mm-hmm. in like the 30s, and like he was like maybe people were like, I don't know, people were turned off by it, and then he would be like, "What are you talking about?" And it's like, "Well, it's like mm-hmm. filmmaking." Like I'm trying to show both sides. Maybe he got tired of answering that question that way, and now he just like he doesn't get why people would ask it. Okay. I mean, yeah, that makes sense. And like I said earlier, like. Uh, 
Fritz Lang, like he like would say things that like were ob- like not true. Like he he just like I mean he was an old guy probably when he started being interviewed about this stuff by yeah, like the seventies yeah. guys. So his like memory probably wasn't this razor sharp about it. But then there's other times where he starts laying out like scenes and he's like, oh no, he can visualize this. He knows exactly what he's doing because obviously, um, I mean his whole career is about like working uh, in film and like talking and working mm-hmm. in a visual language. So I mean he's still probably a sharp guy, but who knows? Maybe the story that he told himself about how things were made just is not in line with what he thought at one point so right. it's all for debate i guess and he, he's dead now so there's no asking was, him. there's no follow-up questions for him i was gonna say much like last week with orson wells and i'll ask him in the afterlife and i'll, I'll report mm-hmm. back that's right yeah um yeah so i don't know uh any other thoughts spirit no, change not really this movie rules yeah i liked it a lot yeah Awesome. Well, you know what? There's some people in this world who hate this movie. Mm, fuck those people. <laughs> oh, oh, my God. So, half a star from S- Savvy Bulge. <laughs> <laughs> oh, maybe he's named after the ca- or that camera shot. <laughs> so, this is the only half star review for this film. Okay. Uh, I had no patience for reading a movie and enduring 100-year-old black and white visuals. The story <sighs> plodded along, and eventually I couldn't take the screaming anymore. But ultimately, huh? it was a good experience because it might have been the only time in my life when I was veritably thankful we won the war. <laughs> what? <laughs> Ew. So uh, uh, the only reason he didn't like it was because it was black and white and had subtitles. It's old. It's old. It's old. And I'm, yeah. I'm glad we got those Nazi bastards that didn't have anything to do with the making of this movie. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, Ratson King gave this two stars. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. I love watching old movies, but this one was immensely boring. If you like to watch different groups of people have boring conversations while they are sitting at a table, then you are going to love this movie. When the biggest reason to keep watching this movie is because you want to know if the movie is going to have a twist at the end, then that's probably a bad sign. I know that this movie is being regarded as one of the best classic mystery movies out there, but I didn't see it, and I can recommend some way better classic mystery movies than this one. Murder on the Orient Express, for example. Jerry, when you read these things, it makes me so fucking mad. <laughs> I know. I don't think anything will ever top that one for the Seven Samurai. <laughs> like, like, nothing ever, like, that's like the pinnacle. I recommend that, folks who haven't yeah. listened to the Seven Samurai episode check that one out because that's got like yeah. the 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 best uh, hate I've ever read. It's just so wrong. <laughs> yeah, uh, but wrong. So, so Savannah Diabold, maybe she's going to give that one a run for its money. Two stars. Uh-oh. I don't know. I didn't particularly like this movie, but it wasn't terrible. I felt uncomfortable watching a child molester catch his prey, but I really liked the idea of a bunch of thugs catching him instead of police. It brought a sense of justice to it because other criminals and homeless were getting together to catch this predator. It was a little slow, and the predator seemed too weak at the end. The ending was also sudden and weird. There was no closure to the movie. We know he got captured, but we never find out what happened to the children he caught or his Mm. punishment. It just Mm. ended, which I did not like at all. Uh, I'm not really down with this lady's interpretation. Me. Like she says, she doesn't, or they, or this person doesn't like it. That's fine. Mm-hmm. But I feel like it's like they're just mostly uncomfortable with the content. And uh, I I really like the ending too. Yeah. Um, that's a huge like, just even bigger bonus for me. I I, I think it's wicked, man. I like it like that. 
No, it's like oh, like uh, that final I shot like too, it. where like the uh, the that awesome. that mob of criminals are about to run forward and just like tear them apart, and then there's like been this weird whistling sound, and you realize, oh, yeah. and that's when then and you don't know what it is, and then they all suddenly stop, and they put their hands up, and then there's this delay, mm-hmm. and then finally Safecracker is like, fine, and then you're like. And then they cut to Peter Laurie, who's like looking at them, terrified. And then this hand just comes out of frame and just puts mm-hmm. itself on his shoulder. And you're like, "Oh, the police are here. He's saved, kind of. Um, kind of. Yeah. And then he's going to be put into the system, and who knows what's going to happen next." Um, but yeah, that's like another thing, uh, people. If you follow us on Instagram, uh, you'll see uh, a bunch of photos and images I put up about this movie. Uh, one mm-hmm. particular one that I threw up there was uh, this painter uh, that's like a German expressionist painter uh, from the period called Otto Dix. Uh, his stuff is like amazing. And like it's like all about like ugly people and like mm-hmm. veterans and just cripples and fantastic painter, like really depicting the world in a way that uh, you don't expect in the European tradition of just like hideousness. And he embraced it full on, which is something that kept coming back to my mind when I was like taking these screen caps of these like real lived in faces of people, of these actors. Because apparently another thing too is uh, Fritz Lang for some of these criminals roles. He actually hired real criminals. <laughs> Awesome. So that that gives that that awesome. air of authenticity. I think that maybe it's like uh, that offsets the uh, the studio city that they were filming in using real mm-hmm. real people, real faces. But maybe you didn't agree with Savannah's take. But maybe uh, you'll find something in Kevin Hawkins' review, which he gave two stars to mm-hmm. him. M stands for meh. <laughs> so maybe this film was ahead of its time, and I can appreciate that. Thanks, Kevin. But that doesn't mean I have to love it. First of all, I think Fritz Lang took way too long explaining the fact that the police had no evidence, literally 10 minutes plus. Second, I personally felt like none of the characters had depth, so I didn't care about anyone in particular, except maybe the mother in the first five minutes. Because of the lack Mm -hmm. of depth, I wasn't really on board with anyone's motives, specifically of criminals trying to catch the main villain. The main thing that actually sparked my interest was the the concept of one evil being greater than another, but even that was kind of glossed over. In the end, I put this on the same level as City of God in that it kind of just exists, and I don't have feelings for it one way or another. What? City of God. <laughs> why? Oh my! I don't understand why people hate that fucking movie. That movie's really good. I don't. Oh my god! Yeah. But if he had ended it just that M stands for meh, I would say five star <laughs> review. Per, per, yeah, five star review. You're wrong. Five star but, review. Yeah, I know. I, I included it yeah. just because I read that first bit. Meh. <sighs> Such frustration, Jared. Such frustration. Much hate. Oh, I'll, I'll leave us on one final hot take. Uh, I was really like becoming aware when I was watching this movie, like and taking screenshots of like there's these inventory shots of like oh, uh, yes. like when they're just like looking at things and they're panning over it. And I was like, I wonder if that's like something that like wound up like starting here and then wound up in Wes Anderson movies because mm-hmm. Wes Anderson he loves the inventory shot. Yeah, uh, I noticed that as well. I thought it was really funny when they do the inventory of all the weapons yeah. from the people in the bar, and there's like a, there's a stack of brass knuckles, mm-hmm. and I thought that was really funny for 1930, like or 1931. I don't know why, but I was like, did they fucking have brass knuckles then? Like, oh, yeah. and if so, did so many people of them have them? It it made me, I I really liked it. I oh. thought it was funny. Yeah, I think, I mean, brass knuckles are relatively easy. They're a lot easier than guns, I think, to, like, pass around because yeah. there's no firing mechanism. There's not much that can go wrong. You just put it on your fist, and then you punch away. 
Well, I, I think it was more, uh, I was more impressed with the fact that they had them. Not okay. that, like, it's like, I didn't know brass knuckles were that old, like 1930. I thought it was, I, mean, oh, I don't man. know, maybe like a 50s thing. Oh, man. I think, well, I think brass knuckles are probably quite old. <laughs> medieval? Oh, let's look it up. Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty. It's probably medieval. Medieval. Uh, medieval. Knucks. Knuckle, yeah. knuckle busters. I, I knew a guy who made uh, wooden knuckles one time. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, they date back to like uh, Nihong Sikhs. Sikhs used them in the 18th century. Hmm. So that's probably. Well, there you go. And then, uh, yeah, they probably made their way through colonial means. They showed up. Yeah, they're in. The, they're being shown. Their uh, wood ones were in the American Civil War. Hmm. Yeah, there. I bet the Wishmaster had some. Uh, he wished he did. Ooh, shit. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. I guess you got me. But uh, anyways, I thought it was funny to see brass knuckles on the table. There you That's go. <laughs> it, yeah. Good. Excellent. Good. <laughs> well, folks, that's M. Another one in the can. A good one, finally, for RJ. Finally. Uh, and after this break, we're going to find out if RJ's going to keep on being happy or not. Nope. So, RJ, when you get uh, brought forth in a kangaroo court in front of a mob of criminals, will you be your own attorney? I will, but uh, my strategy is spontaneous combustion, which is the perfect defense. There you have it, folks. You can email us at criteriancreeps at gmail.com. We've got a Facebook page. We're on Instagram. Mm -hmm. We're on Letterboxd. I'm Jared Duncan. He's Barnloaf. Uh, Right now, folks, you can actually click on my stats and just see Ooh. all the crazy shit that I've watched and how many movies I've watched. It's kind of upsetting. Gross. I think it's like uh, a year of my life has been spent watching movies. A full year. Yeah, it's pretty gross, man. It's amazing. And actually, I think a, a, a fifth of that has been this year alone. Oi. Oi. Hey, Oi. we're on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes. Rate, subscribe, follow, like, listen. Uh, hey, next week, it's another double header, RJ. You're not oh be no! And not only is it a double header, but it is a double dose of Charles Dickens and David Lean, a dose of the double Dickens. <laughs> oh, As only the Criterion you. Creeps can bring you, folks. We got Great Expectations from 1946 and Oliver Twist from 1948, both directed by our main man, David Summertime Lean. 
I'll give you a summertime lean. How does that sound? You know what's fantastic is I've been primed for this because I've been wa- I've just been watching Christmas Carol movies, which is Charles Dickens, baby. Dickens, yeah. What well, a, what a perfect dink. I'm gonna opt out. I'll watch Dark Knight Rises because that's basically a tale of two cities. Um, Dickensian. Dickensian, yeah. Uh, uh, well, we'll see. We'll see. I wonder if people will uh, email the show and let us know their top five of the year. Oh yeah, that's a good call. That's what I'm excited about. Yeah, what about. are the what are the five best movies you've watched this year, listeners? We want to know. Was BVS on the list? I think so. <laughs> I think you're gonna die on that one. <laughs> Well, whatever. If I go out, I'm going out on fire. Mm-hmm. You're, yeah. yeah. Awesome. Well, folks, good night. Very nice. God bless. Very nice. Bless us all, everyone. Uh, weirdo.